Welcome to Poker Fraud Alert Radio. Today is January 11, 2019. The time right now as we are broadcasting live and recording this is 9.38 p.m. Friday night. Pretty much a late show and a last-minute decision to do the show. We haven't been on in two weeks. I'll get to why that has happened. But I wanted to get a show in tonight, and this is when I could do it. So better last minute, better late than never. We do have a free roll, but uh, <laughs> it's off to a great start. It was supposed to have started eight minutes ago, but I was just informed in the chat room that the free roll is the wrong date. <laughs> the, the free roll is tomorrow. So let, let me fix that. Let me fix that. Sorry about that, guys, that the free roll is tomorrow. That, that's not a good situation that it would be taking place when radio's not taking place. So thank you for telling me in the chat room. And I'm glad I was reading the chat room to see this. So let me let me fix this here. <laughs> uh, yeah, it says uh, the 18th for some reason. No, it's not even tomorrow. Next week it's down. Okay. I... That's really weird. I think that happened automatically. I think I set it for the right date, but something weird occurred, and it leapfrogged to next week. So I'm going to change it to start at 9.45 p.m., which gives you seven minutes to kind of relax and then get in there. I know it's late for some of you. But the good news is if you hung around, there's probably going to be very little competition for this free roll. And it's $100 this week. So I fixed the date. You guys can go register now. The free roll's been a mess today. First, it started before the show started because it was on a setting from last from two weeks ago. So it started, uh, I don't know, 9 p.m. or something, and people were playing, and then I had to cancel it because I didn't intend for that to be the free roll time. So people were playing. I canceled it. And then I thought I had it restarted for 9.30, but then it turned out it's 9.30 next week. So I just fixed that now. It should be... Correct now, 9.45 p.m. on the 11th. Sorry for that bad start there. $100 being given away this week, though. Might as well just mention this before we get going of the rest of the opening of the show. 50 for first, 25 for second, 15 for third, 10 for fourth. 50, 25, 15, and 10. That's on the No Fraud Online Poker Room. You can find that near the top of the screen. You must know the rules before you play, otherwise you won't win the free money. You can find those at PokerFraudAlert.com slash free roll, exactly as it sounds, all lowercase. PokerFraudAlert.com slash free roll is the URL to learn the rules of the free roll, which have been the same for a while, but you still have to know them. We're on a new server now. I have talked about this for the last few weeks. This week, I did it. 2019 has brought a new server for Poker Fraud Alert, and for my other websites, including VegasCasinoTalk.com, which you should check out if you've never checked that out before. And this new server is uh, a lot superior to the old one, which is why I put out the substantial effort to move everything. And it really was a substantial effort to move the server. Basically, the last time we did this was five years ago. And since then, five years of stuff has accumulated. And every time I modify something or add something, that's something new that accumulates. And there's a lot of things you have to just completely reinstall for reasons I won't get into. So it's not just a matter of just copying everything over. I wish it was that easy. It kind of felt like I had a full-time job. It took me 
uh, four full nights, basically, to move everything and get everything working. And whenever you do something like this, then there's things you didn't think about that happen. There's new incompatibilities because you have new versions of the operating system and of PHP and, and other technical stuff like that. So you have to work around that. I found that the version of vBulletin that I was running on Poker Fraud Alert was no longer compatible with the newer version of PHP. And it was too much of a hassle to downgrade, a huge hassle to downgrade to the old PHP. And I know Calwatt, he's very anti-sticking with old versions of stuff. So he'll be proud of me that I actually bit the bullet and moved to the new version of vBulletin. And I had to move my custom modifications over. It was a lot of work. Everything was a lot of work. And I put up a temporary site on PokerFraud.com, not PokerFraudAlert, but PokerFraud.com, which is still there. You can take a look. And and it was the way you could access the forum not too long after I started the move, so at least the site had some continuity to it. But now PokerFraud and PokerFraudAlert.com are the same thing. But I, I took four long nights. Basically, I stayed up all night, four straight nights, Monday through Thursday, to do this. And now here we are on Friday, and it's ready. So that's part of the reason we haven't had radio. Part of the reason we haven't had radio is because I got some new health problems for the new year, which isn't good since I already had things going on, as you guys know. But uh, I hurt my back on December 29th playing with my son. And I didn't think it was a big deal. I thought, oh, this sucks because I'm going to Vegas. I'll have to deal with a bad back there, which I did. But at least I knew in a week or two it would be gone, the back pain. That's what happens. I'll get occasional back injuries, but then it'll get better, and it's no big deal. hurts a lot during the time that it's injured, but it, it heals, and it's all better. So I figured that would be the situation. And it seemed to be that way until January 3rd. I woke up, and the back pain got much worse after getting slowly better every day. Well, it turned out that a large reason for that was that I also caught a cold, probably in Vegas, for sure in Vegas, actually, So I'd just gotten back. So I caught a cold in Vegas, and that made my back pain worse. Because when I get colds, a lot of the times my back hurts anyway. Just the, the cold symptoms are it cause muscle and joint pain, which can happen to some people. So I know if that if a cold makes my back hurt anyway, even when there's no problem, that it's very likely it'll worsen an existing back problem. So that happened. But then I had some other issues which weren't explainable, including some bad abdominal pain. Some of this has improved, but it's not all better, and I don't know exactly what it is, and it's not easy to solve. So I've got that now on top of the LPR and H. pylori issues I had going on from last year and the anxiety issues I had from last year. So this hasn't been a picnic here to deal with. So I was not ready to do radio anyway last week. And then uh, I was preparing for the server move and moving the server. And when I move the server, what it does is it, 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 it I have to get a new IP address. And it confuses the Internet providers that you guys have. Because when you type in PokerFraudAlert.com, what happens is PokerFraudAlert.com is looked up on something called a name server. And it gets translated to an IP address, and your computer connects to that IP address. Well, if the IP address has changed, which it has, then your internet provider needs to figure that out. And it's a process called propagation, and it happens kind of at its own pace for each different internet provider. So, and not even just the provider, it can also be uh, 
within your own machine that that information is saved and the new information is not looked up all the time. So what ends up happening is that some of you can't reach the site for some time, usually anywhere from a few hours to a few days. And furthermore, we had some issues with our security certificates because of the move. So some of you were getting messages that the site is not secure or it's not private or some of you could not use iTunes and even download the podcast. Hopefully all of these problems are fixed for you guys by now, but I had to wait until enough time had passed since I officially moved the domain over to the new server to where I could be pretty certain that most of you could access the show on PokerFraudAlert.com. And if you're hearing this now, then obviously you accessed it in some way, whether live or in the archives. Why did I move to this new server? Well, it was time. It had been five years. The equipment was old and obsolete. The operating system was old and obsolete. The PHP was old and obsolete. Uh, Some of that could have been fixed in software, but uh, the fact that the hardware was also obsolete could not be fixed. So I moved, and I do this every so often. I probably won't do it for another five years. I try to keep this to a minimum because it's a pain in the ass. But we've moved to much better equipment. It has 15 times, or sorry, 16 times as much RAM. 16 times as much RAM. Went from 4 gigabytes to 64 gigabytes. That's huge. We went to 4 times as much storage from 1 terabyte to 4 terabytes. We have a faster processor. And there's some other advantages I won't other I won't bother getting into, but it's a much better server. And it was time. It was time to get on modern equipment. So this happened. I did open up the Jew wallet, and this is costing me more. I got a good deal, of course, so it's not costing me as much as you think. But it is costing me more than the previous server. But it was time. It was time to do that, and I wanted something better. I'm still tweaking some things. I'm still trying to experiment with some things to make the performance even better. There may still be some problems. Whenever you do these moves, there's problems that crop up. So if you notice any problems with the forum or the radio show or accessing something that weren't happening before that are happening now, don't blame it on yourself or your own equipment. Tell me. Text me at 775-372-8355 or email me dandruff at pokerfraudalert.com, dandruff at pokerfraudalert.com. Don't be shy about telling me these things. I'm always happy to get these reports. I'm not happy to see there's a problem, but I'm happy to get these reports so I can fix the problems. I I don't like letting these persist. I want the site fully accessible and easy to use for everyone. But most of it should be the same. Most of it should have the same appearance as before. We still have the call to listen line. I had to rebuild that. In fact, I had to rebuild the whole radio server, but I, I believe it's working. I had to rebuild the archive system, but I think that's working as well. The Call to listen line, 605-313-0736, 605-313-0736 is the number. You can find that on the radio tab on PokerFraudAlert.com. That's a line that you can use to listen to the show live, or when we're not on the air, you can hear the streaming reruns. It does not require a data plan, does not require a cell phone or a smartphone or a computer or the internet. All you need is a phone that has the ability to dial numbers in the United States. 605-313-0736. It's located in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. 
You just call it and listen. It's very easy, and it never buffers. There's a no-buffering guarantee with the call-to-listen line. It's a great option for listening to the show. We have the show also on iTunes, on TuneIn, on Stitcher, on Radio Public. These are all different apps you can get for your smartphone or your computer. We also have the MP3 available that you can download directly from the server or play through a little player on our server. Just go to the radio shows forum within PokerFraudAlert.com to find that. We have an RSS feed if you know how to use that. So a lot of different ways to listen to the show. Oh, Google Play also. We also have Google Play. As, as far as listening to the live show, you can also use the TuneIn app for that. And you can use the call to listen line, of course, and Amazon Alexa. You can say, Alexa, play Poker Fraud Alert Radio on TuneIn, and it'll play the live show or the streaming reruns if we're not live. And you can say, Alexa, play Poker Fraud Alert Radio podcast, and it will play the last archived episode. And if you say next, it'll go to the second to last archive episode, etc., etc. A lot of options to listen to the show. If you want any other options, please let me know. You can text me anytime, 775-372-8355. That's the main phone number to the show also. 775-372-8355. The Mount Charleston number is still not working. Don't call it. Still trying to get that worked out. It's because of a compatibility with Skype issue. Skype's a piece of crap. It's been ruined by Microsoft. So that's the way it goes. I've been too busy with other things to try to find another option. I did try one night and failed to find anything appropriate for radio, but I'll I'll still look. I will still look for something better. But right now you can only reach the show on the main number, 775-372-8355. Please only call in between topics or when I ask for phone calls. Otherwise, I won't take your call. Because of the last-minute decision to start radio... We don't have a co-host yet tonight. Trader Ruski, I can't find him at the moment. Uh, Cal Watt, I didn't even bother. He's sleeping. So it may just be me tonight. That's okay. Of course, uh, the co-hosts are welcome to join later. If they get the message at some point, or Cal Watt wakes up in the middle of the night and can't sleep, whatever it might be. We've got some interesting topics to talk about tonight. Some interesting things have happened in the past two weeks that... As they occurred, I said, oh, I want to talk about this on radio. Oh, this sucks. I can't do radio. I kept thinking that as some of these things were happening. So here we are tonight. The wait is over. Here's the agenda, and then we'll get going. The free roll started at 9.45, seven minutes ago. You have 25 minutes of late registration to get in, meaning you have until 10.10 p.m. Pacific time. By the way, the donated money for the free roll, $50 was from me and $50 was from Belly Buster, who runs the No Fraud Online Poker Room. Thank you to the two of you. We do have other donated money we're going to use in future weeks, so if you haven't heard your name mentioned yet, don't worry. I'm keeping track of it, and your money will be given away in subsequent weeks. So here's the agenda for this evening. A few major stories, actually. Adnan Mohammed a.k.a. the New York Poker King, is accused of stealing money on deposit in his private PPP poker room. I guess it's PP poker, whatever. He's accused of pissing the money away from his PP poker room. We will talk about what those rooms are, 
about Adnan Mohammed himself, about what happened here, about two co-conspirators who were involved, who were also guilty here to some degree, and whether you should play on these type of rooms which have really picked up steam in 2018 and now 2019. A shocker involving the site Five Dimes, which is mainly a sports book but also has poker, the site outright stole $54,000 from the winner of a bad beat jackpot. Yeah. Really happened. At first, when I read the story, I was skeptical, but it really happened. And then they tried to manufacture a reason. Very, very shady stuff. And then also... Also, about five times, we have a second piece of news, totally unrelated to that. Remember Tony from Five Dimes? He was kidnapped in September, then reported that he was dead, that he was found dead. Uh, Then it was kind of doubted by some people, including me, that he was really dead, and there were some conspiracy theories as to what really happened. Well, I have an update. I have a new update on this that I don't think has really been discussed in very many places on the internet. So I wouldn't call it an exclusive, but I'll say it's something that really has not been discussed very much. A new update on the Tony from Five Dines disappearance, which I think you'll be interested to hear. Daniel Negreanu proposed to Amanda Leatherman. I will play you the audio of that proposal, and we will discuss the proposal, the marriage, his plans, and whether this is a good idea. Chicago Joey Ingram has been facing some criticism that he sold out by accepting a free 25K PCA tournament entry from PokerStars. That's called the Platinum Pass. The tournament uh, is over now, but uh, Chicago Joey did play in it, and he got a free 25K entry plus a $5,000 package to travel there. Some have accused him of being a sellout. I'll explain why people are accusing him of that, and how I feel about it. A listener from Poker Fraud Alert had a question, and we're going to discuss it on this show. He said, I got a big metal wire in my food at MGM National Harbor, which ended up in my mouth before I realized it was there. What am I owed? So we'll discuss that. The guy had a metal wire in his salmon ate his salmon, and then felt a wire scratching his mouth. That's pretty disturbing. So at that point, what do they owe him? And there's no totally right or wrong answer to that. That's It's a subjective question, but we're going to discuss it here. Last year, some of you remember Kristen, who came on the show. She contacted me on Facebook because she read a comment I made on an article about Scott Tom and... Uh, she was reading that article because she personally knew Brett Beckley, Brent Beckley back in high school. Brent Beckley was one of the Absolute Poker cheaters who actually went to prison for the payment processing portion of Absolute Poker. He's no longer in prison, but that's why she was reading it. She's not involved in the poker world. And the reason I had her on was because upon talking to her, I found that she had a husband who is in prison and has been in prison for eight years. I thought it would be an interesting story for Poker Fraud Alert. I have an update about Kristen that... I don't think it's going to surprise you guys very much, but it's an update nonetheless. 
MGM National Harbor confiscates confiscated, not confiscates, they confiscated a jackpot from a winner due to a clerical error. And then once they realized their mistake, they did not make it right for the player. Very, very, very bad. And we will discuss what happened there when we get to that segment. There are more and more Apps where you compete for real money these days. Legal apps where you compete in some kind of, well, just something. It's some kind of contest, some kind of uh, game, and everybody puts up real money, and there are winners and losers, much like poker, except it's not gambling because there's no random element to it. So these are legal. It is legal to have these contests for money. It just can't involve gambling. However, these apps are very shady, and one of them is already embroiled in a big scandal called HQ Trivia. There's a big scandal involving that. So I will discuss HQ Trivia and the problem with these compete-for-money apps. Finally, Chicago is a cold place in the winter. But for once, residents of the area may benefit if there is a tremendous cold spell in late January has to do with a rewards credits multiplier at Harris Joliet. And you may want to watch the weather on January 26th. And if it's very, very cold, then you may want to go down there and play. I will explain when we get to that final segment. That's our agenda for this evening. We will now get going. And I have a feeling... Let me look. I'm going to look at the free roll numbers. I have a feeling we have probably the least number of people in the free roll that we've ever had. That's my guess. I haven't looked yet. But just because of the last minute nature of this and the fact that it's so late, I think we're going to have a small turnout. Yeah, so far only 21 people registered, which is pretty low. So entering this thing, which you can still do for the next 10 minutes... You have almost $5 equity right away just by entering because uh, 21 people competing for 100 bucks. How often do you enter a free roll where you have $5 equity just for entering? That's, that's pretty damn good. I'm serious. Think about it. Think about any free roll you've ever, ever entered in your life. I don't believe you've ever had $5 equity. So you're not going to win big money, but equity-wise, that's probably the best we've ever had. Per player. Now, maybe not. When we had, you know what? That's not true. We've had really big free rolls where you've had better equity, but still, it's pretty damn good. Definitely, you have the best chance of cashing tonight than you've ever had because we're still giving away four places. All right, let's get going. It's ten o'clock sharp. I want to talk about Adnan Mohammed, a very fine, upstanding, salt of the earth individual whose name was not known to that many people prior to very recently. But now a lot of people know who he is. And the things people know about him and have found out about him are are not very good. (laughs) So here's what's going on. Before we get into Adnan Mohammed himself, I want to tell you guys about these... Poker home game apps, which have become very prevalent. 
and which are gaining steam in recent times. When I say recent times, they say for about the past year. They started before that, but especially in the past year, they've really been gaining steam. The one that's best known is called PP Poker. That's basically the word poker spelled with three P's, PP Poker. And the way these apps work is that they're marketed and sold as play money apps where anybody can start their own club. So this is how it works. Anybody can download the PPP Poker app. I keep calling it PPP Poker because it's three Ps. PP Poker app. And anybody can start a new club on there. And their club is basically your own poker room. That's what a club is. Okay? So they all run off that PP Poker platform, but each club is separated. There's no connection between the clubs. When you start a club, you can start as many tables as you want, and you manage the chips that you give out to people that they can play with, and then you invite people to the club. Now, this is all legal because this is not for real money. Now, what PP Poker does, the way they make money is that they charge money to sell the chips to the owners of the club. Not very much money, but they charge some money to get the chips. And then they also charge the players if they want advanced statistics or things like that. But uh, that's how the app itself makes money. But then why is anyone doing this? Why are people starting these clubs? Why are they buying chips for real money? to give out to people. Well, because what they're really using these apps for is not just to have play money games, but what they're really doing is inviting people to play real money poker. And the owner of the club is usually the one ultimately responsible for holding all the money. So this this is how it would work. Let's pretend I was starting one of these PP poker clubs, which I wouldn't do, and starting one of those and then running it for real money is illegal. And you can go to prison for it, so I would never do it. But let's say I did. What would happen is I would start my own club. Let's say it was called the Poker Fraud Alert Club on PP Poker. I would then try to recruit people to come play on my club. Then people would come to my club and say, Okay, Todd, I'd like uh, 10,000 chips. So... I'd have to buy 10,000 chips from PP Poker and pay pay them a small amount of money. And then you would give me 10,000 real dollars for your 10,000 chips with the understanding that at any time you want, you can cash out whatever number of chips you have and I will pay you the equivalent in real dollars. So then I would invite other poker players besides you and you'd all play together. All of you would have bought your chips for real money from me, and all of you have the option at any time to cash out and get the money from me. Now, again, this is hypothetical. I'm not uh, confessing to running one of these rooms. I don't run one of these rooms. This is all uh, completely hypothetical, not in a wink-wink, nudge-nudge way. I really don't run one of these, nor would I ever. But this would be, you know, if I were to run one, just so you guys can understand what I'm talking about. So... Then what would happen would be uh, you guys would just play and whenever, yeah, if, if you were to bust, then you would 
buy more chips from me in the same fashion. And if you were to win enough money to where you felt you had an excess in chips and you wanted to cash out, or if you were just done for good and wanted to cash out, then you say, hey, Todd, pay me. And then I would send you the equivalent in cash of what your chips are worth. That's how this would work in this hypothetical scenario. Now, I'm sure all of you can figure out where the big flaw is in this entire scheme. Okay, let's let's take me out of the equation, because I think most of you trust me. I think most of you think that if I were to run such a room, I wouldn't screw you, which is true. I wouldn't. I also wouldn't run such a room because it's illegal and it's easy to get in trouble. But if I did run such a room, let's say it was legal to run such a room. Yeah, I'd do it. It'd be easy money. I would do it if, if it was legal. And I'm sure you guys could trust me that I wasn't. I would not screw you and run off with your money. But since it is illegal, and since the people running those rooms are people who are willing to take that chance, the people who run those rooms are not always the most honest, upstanding individuals. Because you have to think, who would be willing to run this and take this risk? Sometimes you'll get someone who's willing to break the law, but is also honest. But other times, most of the time, you won't. Most of the time, you'll get guys with a history of criminal behavior who have been involved in scamming or other illegal get-rich-quick schemes and have no problem screwing people for their own benefit. So if they were willing to break the law doing that stuff, they're willing to break the law doing this. So that's the big flaw here, is that you are trusting just these individuals who are willing to break the law to hold your money. And that's the main problem. That's not the only problem. Another problem that can potentially occur at these rooms is cheating. It could be collusion between players, soft play between players, whole card sharing between players, the same guy playing on two accounts at the same table. Or perhaps insiders at PP Poker who program the software can use backdoors to see your cards, also known as super using. That could be going on for all you know. This app was not designed with any kind of security involved. It's perhaps vulnerable to hacking. So there are a lot of potential vulnerabilities, some high tech, some low tech even if the guy running it is honest and someone you can trust not to run off with your money. And the problem is that the club owners don't have access to hand histories and stuff like that, so they can't uh, investigate allegations of collusion very well. So there's some real vulnerabilities that you will have as a player in participating in one of these PP poker rooms, even if you can trust the guy who runs the club. Now, there's some even other problems that can come up that you may not have thought of. So let's go back to the hypothetical example where I'm running a PP poker room, okay? It's a lot of work to try to recruit people to play in on your room for real money. 
And there's only so many people I know in poker that I would think would be interested in this. So what would I do if I wanted more people to play on my PP poker room? Because, of course, the more people that play, the better I do. The way people who operate these clubs make money is that there's a rake taken out of every pot, as there is in any real money poker game. And that rake is split by the operator and the uh, the operator keeps most uh, – when I say the operator, the club owner keeps most of it and then some of it's given to PP Poker as well. You have to pay them for the rake as well. So they PP Poker knows exactly what's going on. They, they know that it's being run for real money, but they kind of hide behind the legal defense of, look, you know, we're, we're not running a real money room. We're running – play chip rooms and if people are running it for real money then that's that's not our problem so the club operators do owe them at pp poker the owners of the app they owe them every time money's raked too but i believe most of the rake is kept by the club owner and that's how they make money here but a real challenge in running these is getting enough players to where games go. Because let's say I recruited five players. That's not enough to have games going because people are not going to sit there all day and all night and wait for people to get online and want to play. Or maybe they want to play different games or different limits. So, of course, on, on poker rooms, you need a pretty big group of people for games to go at all. So the way people have... The, people, the way these operators of these... PP Poker Clubs have gotten around that problem is that they have recruited agents. Agents are like affiliates. Agents go around and try to recruit players to a specific PP Poker Club. And what they get out of it is they get a percentage of the rake that their players generate. So let's say I hire Trader Ruski to be my agent. Well, every person that Trader Ruski brought in Every time a dollar would be raked from the pot, he would get some percentage of that dollar. And when I say the pot, I mean by uh, pot won by one of the players he brought in. So that's how the agents work. Then there's the matter of playing on credit. Not everybody can immediately send money. Let's say somebody who you think is, let's say you're running one of these PP poker clubs and somebody that you know is good for it busts their account at 2 a.m. And they say, look, I have no way to send you the money right now. The banks are all closed. I don't have any Bitcoin. Uh, I don't have enough money sitting in a bank account linked to my PayPal. But I want to rebuy for 10K. I want to rebuy for 10K, but uh, I can't send it to you right now at 2 a.m., but I really want to rebuy instantaneously. So if I were to know the person well enough, I might say, okay, I will give you this 10K on credit and then just pay me tomorrow. Or maybe they have a longer time to pay me if I really trust them. So some people play on credit. The problem with this is that what if the person who plays on credit loses and then feels they were cheated? And they say, "Uh -uh uh-uh-uh, I'm not going to pay now. I think I got ripped off. I think I was colluded against. I think they were super users. I don't trust any of this anymore. I think I was ripped off. I know I owe you $30,000 that I took on credit from you, but F you, I'm not sending you a penny because I believe I was cheated in your poker room. Well, that $30,000 has been won by somebody else, right? And those people are going to expect to be paid. 
So the only way that I would be able to cover that $30,000 that I'm not being paid from the guy who got it uh, on credit and lost it would be for me to reach into my own Jew wallet and pay the 30000 out myself. But let's say I was near broke, personally. I could not come up with the $30,000. So even if I was running the room honestly, it's possible that I couldn't pay people simply because people paying on credit screwed me. So as a player on these sites, you have to know whether people are playing on credit or if they're not, and you don't always know that. So sometimes even a an operator with good intentions can end up screwing you unintentionally because they just can't afford to cover what the people who play on credit screw them out of. Or, in some cases, agents let people pay, play on credit, and then they can't cover it when the person won't pay. So as you see, there's a lot of potential pitfalls to these games. So I bet your next question is, why the hell would anyone play on these type of sites? Especially with sites like America's Card Room and Bovada and things like that out there available to American players. Why would any Americans play on those sites that have so many more risks than sites like Bovada and America's Card Room, which have been around for many years and generally pay people and a lot of these vulnerabilities and problems with these PPP poker clubs... Uh, you don't have them as much or at all on those sites. So why ever play PPP poker? Why? Game quality. There are a lot of fish on these PPP poker clubs. Why are there a lot of fish? Because the people recruited to play on these clubs are typically ones who are well-bankrolled live players fish in live games, basically, who don't usually play online poker but are talked into doing it because this is promoted to them as being something very easy. You say you don't have to hassle with Bitcoin or, or credit cards or, or worrying about long times of cash outs from foreign countries. No. All you have to do is hand me, the agent, $5,000 or whatever you want to deposit and you'll get that equivalent instantaneously and I'll even let you have some credit. And when you want to be paid, I'll pay you instantaneously too. I'll send it by PayPal or I'll send it by Bitcoin, blah, blah, blah. And this appeals to a lot of these fish who do kind of like the idea of playing an online poker game but don't really like all the hassle with the U.S.-facing online poker sites. They don't like the fact that their credit cards don't work. They don't really know how to use Bitcoin. Uh, They can never play on credit. They can never get paid instantaneously if they win. On these PP poker rooms, they can. And they're usually dealing with someone that they know pretty well from live card rooms who they think won't screw them. I'm talking about like the agents or the club owners. So this is appealing to a lot of fish. And therefore, the games are a lot better than you'll find at equivalent limits on sites like Bovada or America's Card Room. So that's the big draw. That's the big draw if you are a poker pro or just someone who's good at poker is that you don't have to fight these very tough modern players at the U.S.-facing poker sites. Yeah, there will be other pros there, but a lot more fish. The games are a lot better for the most part. So that's the big allure. So every person who comes across these rooms 
or you know some friend that's playing on these rooms, or you hear it mentioned when you're playing a live poker game. It's tempting, right? It's tempting when you hear how good the games are. When you hear how much money your friends were making at the same games that you're struggling to break even at when you play on Bovada. And you think to yourself, wouldn't it be great if I could play in games again that are like party poker in 2005? Wouldn't it be great if I could be in those games all the time instead of these tough games full of pros? Yeah, I know I've got some risks here. I know people could be cheating or colluding, and I know they could be super using, and I know that the operators of these rooms, these agents could end up screwing me. But maybe it's worth it if the games are good enough. After all, even Bovada and America's Card Room are not without risk. They can screw you too. So maybe for a little bit more risk, it is worth playing a much better game. It's all gambling, right? You're gambling on the cards, and you're gambling on the site or the app itself that you play on. So maybe gamble a bit more on the site or the app and have a much better game where it's much less card-dependent for you to win. Very tempting, huh? I will admit that there have been passing thoughts in my head at times to play on sites like these. I know people who play on them. I know people who are agents for them. There's many of them out there. Anyone can start one. If you're willing to take the risk, you can start one. If I wanted to, I could start one right now. So could you. It's tempting sometimes. It's tempting if I I sit in a 30-60 game on Bovada and everybody's anonymous and I I can't see who I'm playing against and a four-handed game gets going and I realize that the other three are are all pros and I'm wasting my time and I think, hmm, if only I could be on one of those sites where the games are so much better and full of fish. This is what I want, right? And then sanity takes hold of me and I realized that that would be a mistake for the reasons I stated earlier. So that's a quick, or maybe not so quick, primer on how these private poker apps work. So if you hear people talking about playing on PP Poker or some other private poker room that you can play online, that's the story. And there's other ones, not just PP Poker. There's other ones. There's several of them out there. And of course, many clubs on these separate poker apps. But let's get to Adnan Mohammed and the scandal involving him, which has really shined a light upon these private game apps and has spawned a discussion that we should have had a long time ago as to whether or not people should play on them. Adnan Mohammed is a career scammer. He is. He's in his early 30s, but dating back to 2010, he's been in trouble a number of times, always having to do with financial crimes. In 2010, he was sued by a company called Rapid Cash in what he was accused of doing was operating an ATM scheme where he was uh, 
operating as an affiliate ATMs around New York City and then allegedly stealing cash from them, basically. And uh, it was a stupid scheme, too. It's like he was replacing $20 bills with $5 bills in the machine. So then when he'd go to, withdraw, he'd go to withdraw it, and then it would give him, uh, or the opposite, he replaced, uh, yeah, that's, that's what it was. He was replacing the, uh, the $5 bills with 20s. And then uh, when he would withdraw it, it when he, he'd go make a withdrawal, then it would give him the 20s that it thinks are fives and only debit his account as if he's withdrawing fives. And then he put everything back to normal for everybody else using the machine. So apparently uh, it was alleged he stole a lot of money doing this, especially one particular machine. And Rapid Cash sued him. The suit was dismissed. It's not sure why. Maybe they came to some settlement. I don't know. But that was that was one of his earlier brushes with the law. And he was pretty damn young back then. Something that's not in question at all is that he was convicted in 2012 for some sort of theft or fraud that may or may not have involved his own father. He was sentenced for grand larceny. He was sentenced to five years probation, 50 hours of community service in order to pay back $23,700. Again, there's rumors that it was his own father he stole from, but he definitely stole from someone and was convicted of a felony for doing so. In fact, he was lucky to get off with just probation and uh, community service. And this is just two years after the ATM thing. He also likes to use alternate spellings of his name in order to avoid people Googling him and realizing that he's a scammer. So he's been Adnan Mohammed with A-D, which is his real spe- last name of his spelling, M-O-H-A-M-M-A-D. That's the real w- way you spell his name, Adnan, A-D-N-A-N. But he's also used different spellings like uh, Mohammed with E-D at the end instead of A-D. He's been Adnan Mo. He's been a lot of different variations of his own name, presumably to avoid uh, Google searches of him. Because the name Adnan is, is not all that common. So even though the name Mohammed is common, so he realized that Googling Adnan Mohammed would come up with some bad stuff. So he's, he's used different spellings of his names over the years. Anyway, does this sound like a guy that you would want to operate a PP poker club? Is this a guy you would trust to hold your money? <laughs> Is this someone you'd want selling you chips on a poker club he manages and you have to trust him to pay you out when you win? A guy who is allegedly stealing cash out of ATMs that he was operating in 2010, a guy who was allegedly, or not allegedly, a guy who was convicted of a felony in 2012 of grand larceny? Is that who you would want holding your money? So I bet you know the way the rest of this story goes. doesn't take a genius to predict what happens next. So recall I just said that he was sentenced to five years probation in 2012. Let's do our arithmetic. We'll see that the probation is over, or was over, in 2017. 
once his probation was over, he started up a PP poker club. He called himself the New York Poker King, NY Poker King. He has an Instagram where he postures that he's a high-stakes gambler who always wins. Even the screen name, NY Poker King. If you, you can go take a look. It's still up. NY, it's Instagram.com slash NY Poker King. Go there and then scroll through it. And you will see various large chip stacks he's posting. You'll see pictures of beautiful vacations he's taking, of jewelry he wears, large stacks of cash, large stacks of chips at the World Series of Poker, uh, the fact that he played the World Series of Poker main event, the fact that he finished in 182nd place at a uh, no-limit event at the World Series. Uh... If you looked, you would see that it looks like this guy plays a lot of tournaments. That he accumulates big chip stacks. That he takes very nice vacations. That he wears expensive jewelry. That he just recently finished in 29th place for 17K at a tournament. And you'll even see that he seems to succeed at pit games, that he plays a lot of games in the pits and casinos and wins there too. I see a picture of him playing Baccarat with a lot of chips in front of him. These are all over his Instagram. Sports betting pictures. You're supposed to look at this and say, wow, Adnan Mohammed is a successful poker player and a successful gambler. Successful sports better, high stakes sports better. He's showing that he allegedly made a, or supposedly made, not allegedly, supposedly made a sixteen thousand five hundred dollar bet on the Rams on January sixth, <laughs> after the scandal was going on. <laughs> this is all over his Instagram. Just scroll, scroll, scroll. If you want to see all the five figure sports bets he's supposedly making, the pit games he's playing, the high-stakes cash games he's playing. A lot of posturing going on. On the surface, it looks like he's rich and successful and a very good gambler. But as is the case with a lot of social media, it's phony. It's not what you think it is. I'm sure you people have seen on sites like Facebook where someone is posting pictures from their current life where they seem very, very successful. Everything seems like it's great. Their family life looks great. Their kids look happy. Their wife or husband looks happy. Seems like they go on nice vacations. Seems like they have a lot of fun family time together. Seems like their kids are doing well. Uh, it's easy to look at those pictures and be jealous that your own life is not going quite as well as theirs, that you have your own problems, you're not as happy, uh, your kids are struggling in ways that their kids aren't, uh, the, the, the family spends a lot more time together than your family spends, uh, their, their marriage is a lot better than yours. And just as you start to feel really jealous then comes the shocking announcement. They're getting a divorce. Their, their kids are having a lot of trouble in school. Uh, 
Um, they're they're declaring bankruptcy. All of a sudden, all these wonderful things about their life that you've been witnessing all this time on social media, it turns out it was all facade. They were showing you the very, very best, a lot of times staged photos, when in reality things were teetering on the brink of disaster. I remember when I was a kid, my mom told me of a guy that she was dealing with... uh, involving her business, that all he could do was brag about how rich he was and how he whipped out cash to show her that he had in his pocket. And all he could talk about how well he's doing and how rich he is. And she told me that she knew he had to be very close to broke. Because people who are actually rich rarely brag about it. Now You have a few like Dan Bilzerian who make a persona out of that online, but most of the people who brag about being rich brag about winning all the time are the ones who are actually the opposite. My mom taught me that when I was a kid. It remains true today. That's definitely the case for Adnan Mohammed, a.k.a. New York Poker King. In reality, this is a guy with a gambling problem. It's a combination of a gambling problem and a narcissist who wants to posture that he is a successful gambler. So it's not just he enjoys gambling. He wants everyone to give him credit for being a great gambler and a winning gambler. But what do you do if you are a shady guy who wants to be seen as a successful high-stakes gambler, but in reality you have a bad gambling problem and you lose more than you win? What do you do at that point? What you do at that point is you scam, you steal to continue funding this lifestyle. And that's what he's been doing. He was using PP Poker as his own personal ATM. So people would deposit, and he would say thank you very much and put it in his pocket and gamble with it. Now you might wonder, what if people had to cash out? Some people are going to win, right? And Especially if the games are soft, then the good players are going to win. So what about those good players when they want to win, when they want their money? Well, Adnan figured the good players, they're, they're going to keep a bankroll on there. They're not going to ask for all their money. If they're winning, they're not going to say, okay, give me everything. They're going to stay on. They're going to, like even if they bought in for 10K, uh, let's say they win 30K, they're not going to say, pay me 30K. They, they may say, okay, well, I'll, I'll keep some of the money online for a bankroll. Uh, maybe they'll take 10K out at that point. So what he would do would be prioritize the cash outs according to how actively someone is playing because those are the ones he needs the most. And then he would use deposits as a way to pay the cash outs. Oh yes, a Ponzi scheme. That's exactly what that is. So he would pocket all the money deposited to him unless there's a current cash out pending. Then he will prioritize those from people who play the most on the site to people who play the least And he will start either forwarding the deposits to those who are cashing out a little bit at a time, or in some cases, he was actually directly instructing those depositing to send the money directly to those who are withdrawing. That's actually how stupid this guy is. Like, why why couldn't he at least be the middleman all the time? Why he's giving away what he's doing? 
So you say, okay, I, hey, Adnan, I want to deposit into your room. He's like, okay, uh, send the money to such and such person. Send $200 here, send $500 here, send $300 here, and okay, that, that's $1,000. And the people are like, what the hell? Why aren't we just sending $1,000 to you? Why am I sending it to like three different people in, in, in different amounts? And people would figure out pretty quickly that what they were having, what he was having them do is, is pay those who are withdrawing. So he couldn't even, he got too lazy to even be the middleman at some point. That's how much of a direct Ponzi this was. <laughs> he wasn't even pretending like he was the one paying. He was letting the depositor directly pay the withdrawals, withdrawers. I don't know who he claimed these people were. But he'd say, hey, you want to deposit? Then send this money to these three people and I'll give you chips on the site. So why wasn't this exposed a long time ago? I said this began in late 2017. Why wasn't this exposed a long time ago? Why are we only talking about this in January 2019? Well, because it was exposed. In April 2018, a thread was started on 2 Plus 2 calling out Adnan Mohammed for slow-paying and no-paying people. And that should have been the end of it. That should have been it. The, the poker room, I think, was about four or five months old at that point. And that should have been that. It should have been over. It should have been done. People should have looked him up and said, okay, uh, this guy is a career career criminal. This guy is not paying people. This guy is taking forever to pay those who have cashed out. Someone reported it took 10 small cash outs to get $3,000 off the site, which is a joke. (laughs) So you'd think at that point the whole thing would collapse. But for whatever reason, it did not. For whatever reason... People kept coming on there, probably because this was not publicized enough. There was a threat on 2 plus 2, but uh, people didn't pay that much attention to it, and this never really got very much play in the broader poker world. I will confess that I didn't know about it until recently. I wasn't trying to follow every thread on 2 plus 2, but I hadn't heard about it. it. It hadn't really made the rounds yet. So Adnan was still able to get people on the site who were unaware that this was happening. Now, you would think they would Google his name and find it, like, if I were to deposit there, I would totally Google Adnan Muhammad and see that there's an accusation against him on 2 plus 2 of, of slow-paying people. And I would say, uh-uh, I'm not, not playing with this guy. But a lot of these people were kind of naive. A lot of these players who would play on there, especially the fish, weren't wise to these type of things happening. And they would just trust or often trust the two agents, who I'll get to shortly, that everything's on the up and up. Now, who were the two agents? There were two agents that were working for Adnan that, remember, were making money from this. They were keeping a portion of the rake generated from whatever players they recruited. One of them is a flight attendant of Allegiant Airways, Airlines, whatever it is, and now for Spirit Airways. A guy named Pete Burell. B-U-R-R-E-L-L. So Pete Burell was one of the agents. He's out of Florida. The other one is someone I have dealt with before in a Twitter fight. Someone I haven't met in person. But a Southern California woman named Courtney Hamilton, known on Twitter as Liberal Chick. Exactly as it sounds, Liberal Chick. They were the two agents for Adnan Mohammed. Now... I will be clear here that it seems that Adnan Mohammed was the one stealing the money. It doesn't seem like Pete Burrell was stealing the money. It doesn't seem like Courtney Hamilton was stealing the money. So how can you really fault them, right? 
they they were just the agents. They were just recruiting people. They also trusted Adnan. Wouldn't you say that perhaps they were also victims of Adnan? No. Why? Because they were made aware by people after April because they, they recruited a lot of the people. And especially in the case of Courtney, uh, she was pretty trusted. So a number of people played there because Courtney recruited them and said, yeah, Courtney, she seems pretty trustworthy. Never heard anything bad about her. I've seen her play on live at the bike. Okay. I don't know this Adnan guy, but if Courtney's behind it, fine. So a lot of people trusted Courtney and Pete. But in April, when people started having issues with cash outs, people started coming to the agents and saying, hey, you know, uh, we're not getting paid. This is a scam. Why do you do this to us? And, the agents got very nasty with people. Courtney was said to get very rude and flippant with anyone who would complain, saying, hey, look, I'm just the agent. Don't bitch at me about this. I just brought you there. So what did Courtney do at that point? Did Courtney come to Adnan and say, hey, Adnan, uh, you're not paying people, so I can't recruit people for this room anymore in good conscience? After all, Courtney, her name is Liberal Chick. Courtney works for left-wing candidates sometimes. She volunteers for campaigns. She uh, tweets about a lot of left-wing politics. She considers herself a humanitarian, someone who cares about her fellow human beings, someone who doesn't want to see the little guy stomped on by heartless big corporations. Wouldn't you think a person like this would care about leading lambs to the slaughter and getting scammed? Apparently not. Because Courtney Hamilton and Pete Burrell, despite being aware of the fact that Adnan was not paying people for eight months between April and December of 2018, continue to advertise and recruit people to Adnan's room. Huh. How does that happen? How does that happen? Now, I don't think Adnan said to them, I'm stealing the money. I'm scamming them. Ha ha ha. Help me out. You'll, you'll get rich too. I don't think that's what he said. I think he probably lied to them. I think he probably made excuses. I think he probably told them they're going to get paid. It's, you know, he probably made excuses blaming PayPal or who, who knows what else. He probably told them what they wanted to hear. But come on now. Neither of these people are that naive. Especially Courtney, who's been around poker for a long time. Neither of these people are that naive that an individual like Adnan Mohammed, when people aren't getting paid when they win, and he's the one holding all the money, that he probably has stolen it. If anything more than a few days goes by, and people are still not getting paid, then he's stolen the money. It doesn't take a genius, it doesn't take a master scam buster or master detective to figure it out. It's very clear to the agents when this occurs, that it's a scam. And if they continue promoting the room, even if Adnan lies to them, even if Adnan tells them it's all okay, even if Adnan tells them everyone will be paid, don't worry, if they continue promoting the room for eight more months while this occurs, then they are knowing accomplices. Why would they do this? Well, for money. Because they get extra money. Adnan was probably paying them. They were probably two people who weren't being slow paid. I don't think they'd keep promoting it for eight months if they were getting nothing and suspicious of the site. 
Adnan very clearly was paying people in a hierarchy regarding how important they were to him in the scam. So the agents were most important. The active players were second most important. The semi-active players were next down the line, all the way to those who don't really play anymore. They were the least important to get paid. So I think that Courtney and Pete were probably highest on the priority payment list. I think they probably both made some decent money in 2018 promoting Adnan's PP Poker Room, which was known as PokerClub.ag, by the way. The flashy website still exists, PokerClub.ag. When this scandal broke, most people focused, and rightfully so, on Adnan Mohammed and his history. But some pointed out, hey, look, Pete and Courtney are getting off too easy here because they knowingly promoted this. And in fact, it was their better reputation, the reason people trusted the whole operation. And they promoted this long after they were made aware of the problems on the site. Well, they won't comment on it. Pete, however, is definitely reading the 2 plus 2 thread about it because the second someone posted Pete's Facebook up there, Pete quickly deleted it. He deleted his whole Facebook. Minutes after it was posted on 2 plus 2. So obviously he was refreshing the thread over and over. And Courtney has refused to answer anyone on Twitter about this, including me. I've tweeted to her about it. And she took a hiatus from Twitter for several days while this was all going on. She just came back to Twitter, like today, but is not talking about this. So we have a very similar situation to what occurred involving Perlod Friedman with UB. That they knowingly promote a scam because they're in need of money. Talk themselves into believing that they're still good people and that the flimsy excuses given by the site as to why they're not a scam are true. And then when the whole thing predictably comes crashing down and people get cheated out of their money, then they just want to walk away from it as if the whole thing never happened. And you don't get to do that. If you knowingly promote a scam, if you hear something is a scam, and if all common sense would point to it being a scam, and you still promote it for several months, even upon learning that, then you are a very willing and knowing accomplice of the scam, and you yourself are a scammer. Not quite as bad as the guy at the top of the whole thing, but you are still a scammer. And you can't run away, you can't hide, you can't blame someone else, you can't avoid talking about it or avoid dealing with it or saying, hey, I was just an agent. No. You're guilty. And this is where I get back to the discussion of limousine liberals. Now, I don't know about Pete's politics, so I'm not going to comment on him, but Courtney, who calls herself liberal chick... Someone who always posts about left-wing politics and works for left-wing politicians and claims to care about her fellow human being, claims to be a humanitarian, claims to hate corporations who screw the little guy. How can you justify stealing yourself? How can you justify promoting a scam where the average individual gets their bottom dollar stolen from them, which has happened to some people? How do you go to sleep at night knowing that you facilitated this to happen even after you were aware 
about what was going on. Like, how can you do that and then get on social media and tweet about left-wing causes and about uh, how we have to care about our, our fellow man? You don't care about your fellow man. You, you, you help your fellow man get stolen from. So if you're going to be a greedy piece of shit, okay, but own it. Don't, don't pretend you're a great humanitarian. Don't bother working for the left-wing candidates that you think are trying to make the world a better place and then go cheat people on, uh, in your business dealings or help someone else cheat people. And that's why limousine liberals piss me off so much. Because they spend so much time and energy sanctimoniously talking down to others for not being as virtuous and caring as they are, and then behind closed doors they are scamming, stealing, or helping others scam. Not all of them, but a lot of them are. Those are the ones I call out the most here, because it's it's maddening to me. To, it's maddening to see the moral soapbox they get on, and then they're proven to be the biggest hypocrites. Now, what was my previous dealing with Courtney Hamilton? Was it about her liberal politics? Believe it or not, no, it was not. Nothing to do with politics. Two years ago, Courtney Hamilton, who uh, I had never interacted with directly before, but I'd seen a number of her posts. I think some of my followers on Twitter, people I follow, I think they knew her. Uh, I didn't know much about her. I knew she was some kind of like semi-pretty girl in her early 30s who played on Live at the Bike sometimes. That was kind of all I knew. But I had never really interacted with her before. But I saw something that looked interesting on the surface, and that was that she said that she's going to play a guessing game with everybody. This was two years ago. This is before the whole pee-pee poker thing and Adam Muhammad. She said, let's play a guessing game. Which one of my friends, male friends, do you think stopped talking to me after he expressed the desire to have sex with me? I turned him down, and now he's ghosting me. Who do you think this is? So I thought, oh, that's kind of an interesting thing to follow here. I wonder who it is. I wonder who this friend of hers is, that's some platonic friend that finally revealed he wanted to have sex with her, and then... She said no, and now he won't talk to her anymore. I wonder who did that. It was like, you know, not a huge scandal or anything, but I was curious from a gossip standpoint. So she ran this guessing game, and I was following it, presuming that after a number of wrong guesses, because I, I kind of came in after this had been going a while, and she kept saying, nope, nope, nope. And in fact, was kind of chiding people for guessing the wrong answers. Like, nope, he's still my friend. We're really close friends. It would never be this person. Like, she, she kept kind of mocking people for guessing wrong. Like, oh, how could you say that about this person? Anyway, uh, finally, it appeared she was talking about Ryan Fee because someone asked, is it Ryan Fee? And she just put like a emoji of someone putting their hand in front of their mouth. Like, I'm not going to say anything. And the other one she said no to. So it was pretty clear she was referring to Ryan Fee. But then wouldn't confirm it was him. So I kind of came in at this point and saw this, and I so I finally responded to her and said, well, okay, it's very clear you're talking about Ryan Fee. If he could show up now in this thread and explain his side of it, that would be great. So then she started to give me an attitude, saying, uh, uh, do you always butt into other people's games? Do you always butt into other people's threads? Uh, you know, Don't invite others into someone else's party. 
And I said, look, you wanted a guessing game here. You're the one who brought this out here. Someone apparently guessed right. So now let's hear the rest of the story. Or at least let's have the guy that you've thrown under the bus here come forward and, and explain himself if he wants. He didn't have to, of course, but I was saying that uh, it's not unreasonable to say, okay, let's hear Ryan Fee's comments now. Uh, but, but she's giving me a hard time for even saying that. So then I asked her, why would you even run a guessing game with no intention to ever reveal the right answer? She says, uh, for my amusement. So I go, oh boy, this, this girl is terrible. <laughs> this, this girl is absolutely terrible. And so I decided to do something. This is two years ago. I decided to do something which I thought might result in uh, incurring some wrath, in, in, in getting some people really angry at me. And that was I was going to kind of pick a fight with a pretty girl on the internet. I think you guys know why a middle-aged guy is risking a lot of angry trolling against him if he dares pick a fight, even a justified one, with a pretty younger girl on the internet. And that's because there's a lot of desperate dudes out there who are looking either to get laid or to have a relationship or both, who are just mesmerized by any pretty girl giving them any kind of attention and then they will defend any criticism directed at these pretty girls to the death. And they will fight, 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 and they will attack, attack, attack anyone who dares say anything negative to these girls, even if the girls are in the wrong, in the hopes that these girls will recognize their valiant efforts and then reward them with sex or a relationship or both. These are known on the Internet as white knights. You've probably heard about them. So I took a look at Courtney. I took a look at the pretty unrealistic filtered picture she uses on her profile where she looks gorgeous. I took a look at the more realistic version of her on Live at the Bike where she's kind of semi-pretty. I'd say decent looking, but you know, still in her early 30s and blonde and thin. And I thought, hmm, a like 31-year-old fairly pretty girl who plays poker and is active on social media in poker. I have a feeling there's a lot of white knights waiting to pounce on me if I dare say anything objectionable. But I threw caution to the wind. And I asked her a question that uh, I had a feeling was not going to get a very uh, happy response. I'll tell you exactly what I asked her. I said, let's play another game. This is on July 15th, 2017, by the way. A year and a half ago. Let's play another game. What percentage of your male poker, quote, close, close friends would have become your friend if you were either male or not pretty? So I kind of gave her a backhanded compliment there. I, kinda, I, I did say she was pretty, right? <laughs> But yeah, you know what I'm asking her. Uh, how many of your friends would really be friends if you weren't a pretty girl? So she wrote back, wow, so either the majority of my entire self-worth in your mind is predicated on my physical appearance? 
that, that's a typical obnoxious feminist response when you ask something like that. Like, oh, so I'm only, you know, how I look, how I look matters. No, that's not what I said. I didn't say your looks are your whole personality. I didn't say your, your looks are your entire worth. I'm just saying that naturally a pretty young girl will attract a lot of male, quote, friends who really just want to get laid. And then if you take that same person and change them from a pretty girl to a dude or even an ugly girl, many of these, quote, friends of the male variety probably would never have had an interest in this friendship in the first place. That's that's a fact. It's not the girl's fault if she's pretty and dudes want to become friends with her for that reason. But it's a fact of life. A, a pretty girl who has a lot of male friends that just effortlessly flock to her can't say, oh, wow, I'm, I have such a great sparkling personality. You know, people just love me. Look at all these guys that want to be friends with me. I'm, I must be a cool chick. No, you, you, most of these guys want to be friends with you because they want to get laid. They want to have sex with a pretty girl. That's why. If you were a dude, you wouldn't have this many friends. So I was asking her that question. How many, what percentage of her friends are really her friends because they like her personality and not, nothing to do with her looks? So I responded back to her and I said, nope, just being realistic. A hot chicken poker will be swarmed by male, quote, friends immediately while a new male poker player will not. 100% true. 100% true. Almost the entire audience of this show is male. There was a few females to listen, but it's mostly male. When you played poker for the first time, uh, were you swarmed by people who wanted to be your friend? I doubt you were. I was not. I don't think you were either. You've probably made some friends in poker, but I don't think you've been swarmed with guys who want to be friends with you. So then she wrote back, I have a few small groups of friends. You have some kind of weird, twisted, porno-esque fantasy of what it's like to be a pretty girl in poker. I said, I've been around poker for 17 years and I've seen a lot. Fact, not a single pretty girl in poker is starved for male close friends. That's true. She says, sounds like you're just jealous because nobody likes you. And I said, okay, keep deluding yourself into believing that all the dudes in poker befriended you for no other reason than your sparkling personality. Then she wrote back, seriously, go back to your cave, you know, accusing me of being a caveman, and then blocked me. Now, keep in mind, I only started that whole discussion because of her nasty attitude regarding her little game. See, I was trolling her there, I admit that, but I I was trolling her with the truth, but I was trolling her. But I was annoyed by her little game where she got all the attention Oh my god, oh my god, look, I had this male friend who wanted to fuck me and now won't uh, talk to me anymore now that I said no. Guess who it is? Guess who it is? Oh, actually, I'm not telling you guys. Ha 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 ha. Like, that really annoyed me. So uh, that's why I started that. But anyway, it wasn't a big deal. But I'll tell you, there was one thing that shocked me about this whole exchange. I haven't told any of you about the White Knights yet. I haven't told you about the White Knights that it viciously attacked me for questioning that Courtney had friends who were only friends with her because she's a pretty girl. I haven't told you of the many guys who stepped up and said, no, 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 I think Courtney's a cool chick. I'm, I'm not friends with her for that reason. I'm friends with her because I like her company. I like her personality. Hey, Todd, you piece of shit. Stop saying things like that. Hey, Todd, next time I see you, I'm going to knock you out. 
How, how come I haven't told you yet about all those white knights who jumped all over me during that conversation that I was sure would show up? Because this many white knights showed up. Zero point zero. Right. Not one person defended her. Not one. I'm still shocked by that. I, I, can't, I can't believe in that whole thing. And a lot of people saw it. She has a lot of followers. Not one person stepped up to defend her. Not one person stepped up to insult me or troll me during that exchange. You can still find it on Twitter. I walked away from that, scratching my head and saying, I think that the reason nobody defended her is because she's awful and everyone knows she's awful. And even though she's fairly pretty and in poker and female and young or kind of young, that uh, despite all that, they know she's so awful, nobody wants to defend her. (laughs) I think it is possible she only has a small group of friends because she's so awful. Even being a pretty girl in poker, I think most guys probably can't stand her. So I walked away going, wow, I am shocked that not one dude defended her there. Not one dude stepped up and identified himself as a friend who wasn't trying to go after benefits. Well, then I forgot about her, though, for a year and a half, and she had me blocked so I wasn't seeing her on Twitter. Until I read on 2 Plus 2 that she was involved in the Adnan Mohammed scam. And I thought, well, isn't that fitting? Isn't that fitting? So I'm told to go back to my cave. I'm this terrible person who believes that all she is is a pretty face. Her entire self-worth comes from her looks. Well, I don't believe that all Courtney is is a pretty face. She's she's also a scammer. So congratulations, Courtney. I believe you're something else now, too. You're not just your looks anymore. Now you're also your actions. Congratulations. So back to Adnan Mohammed. Um, there was a development since then, which, which uh, is straight out of the scammer's playbook. And you need to know to recognize this when you deal with people like Adnan in any facet of life, not just in poker, not just with these private rooms, but, but in any facet of life. So there were two very large debts that were owed to people. One, one guy was owed $40,000 or so. Another was owed 20000 or so. All in all, about $84,000 worth of debt was publicly stated by people who were victims, but I'm sure there's far more than that of people who just don't read 2 plus 2. But 84000 for sure, and then I, I, it has to be over 100000 was stolen, if 84000 is what we're seeing being discussed of people who read the site. But the two big ones, there's a 40 and a 20, approximately. Well, Adnan had a very strange relationship, to, uh, not relation, reaction to all this. Adnan, first of all, you would think that he was, he'd be horrified that his name was getting out there in this way. And I'm sure he didn't love it, but part of him kind of did. Because Adnan was actually found bragging that in that week, when the scandal was first being discovered that the number of lookups of him on the Hendon Mob database keeping track of tournament winnings went up by a factor of seven. 
<laughs> so, so here everybody's looking him up because he's a scammer. He's like, hey, look, everybody. This week I'm seven times more popular on Hinted Mob than last week. Wow. I'm really blowing up huge. Everyone's looking me up. I'm becoming a big name in poker. He's really saying this. He's really bragging about it. And keep in mind, this is the same guy that's always trying to grandstand on Instagram. So he really is happy that this is getting him some attention. He'd rather it was positive attention. He doesn't like people calling him broke, but but he is happy that this is bringing eyeballs to his Instagram. <laughs> so this is really one of these people who believes that negative attention is better than no attention at all. But still, there is the issue that Adnan still wants to scam. And there's the issue that his poker room, by reports, has become a ghost town. That There's a few microstakes games running, but that's pretty much it. The whole thing is dried up. And uh, the cash cow has basically been slaughtered by this thing being publicized. Adnan has also been taking heat from Courtney and Pete, who are privately contacting him and giving him a very hard time saying, Hey, what the hell? I thought you said this is going to be taken care of. I thought you said these people are going to be paid. Look what's happening to our reputations now. You know, look what you're doing to us. You know, we're keeping quiet for the moment, but you know, hey, you, you've got to get us out of this. This is making us look terrible. Pete's complaining that his job is in jeopardy, that people are talking about calling up uh, Spirit Airways and, and complaining about him. That, that on his off time, he's running illegal poker scams. Uh, Courtney was very unhappy about what this has done to her reputation. So they were given a lot of heat to Adnan, and he's, he's realizing he's got to do something. Yeah, he can enjoy the attention, but at the same time, uh, he also, he's got to put scammers' food on the table. He's also got to get uh, Courtney and Pete off his back. So he called up the two biggest victims. And as many scammers are, when they are confronted about their scams, one would expect that when you catch a scammer and you confront them, that they're going to argue with you and be very nasty and maybe even threatening. And some of them do behave that way, but a lot of them do the opposite. A lot of them act very nice and apologetic and understanding and claim that they really want to make it right. And that's what Adnan did. Adnan got on the phone with the two biggest victims separately, sweet-talked them, and convinced them both. I don't know if he convinced, but he talked them both into agreeing to give him two weeks and that he's going to start paying them. And as a gesture of goodwill, he sent a small amount of money to each. Uh, the guy owed 40000 something got paid $911. Now, why 911 Is it uh, some sick reference to 911? Remember, he's from New York. Is it a reference to 911, which people might want to be calling on him, given that he's scamming them? No. The figure of 911 was suggested and agreed to by the victim because it brings the debt to that guy down to a round number. And sorry, I don't like to victim shame, but what a freaking moron, this guy who's owed the $40,000 plus. What a freaking moron to say, oh, yeah, that's cool. Let's bring my debt down to a round number. No, this guy read on 2 plus 2 Adnan's full history. He realized he got scammed. He realized he got ripped off. He's He's been suspicious of this for months now because it's been slow paid for months. And you know, he, he knew that 
he wasn't going to get paid. In fact, he was told at one point that he wasn't raking enough, and therefore he's not getting paid until he rakes more. So he was aware he got ripped off. So finally he got Adnan on the phone who's saying, I'm going to pay you something right now, and, he, and he's willing to accept a figure to make it a round number. No, you accept the maximum. Who cares if it's a round number? You accept the absolute maximum that you can convince Adnan to send you at the moment. You want every penny you can get from someone who ripped you off. You don't You don't say, well, yeah, let's make it a round number. You can give, give me the rest later. No. <laughs> you get every penny. If they're willing to pay you $1,045.92, you accept that instead of $911 even, even if it will leave the figure as something that's harder to remember. Just note it down somewhere. <laughs> but uh, he accepted 911 Then the other guy who's owed twenty k, he also accepted some small payment. Supposedly, they were to be receiving payments uh, within a few days, and then and then again within a few days after that. And uh, Adnan was claiming you know, within two weeks they'd both be paid off. I don't believe it because where's Adnan going to get the money? Uh, the the source of income he had there was gone. People weren't playing on that site anymore, and I think if he had the money in the first place then this wouldn't have happened. He wouldn't have let it get to this point. So clearly he was broke. He was posting pictures of sports bets after this. So that's, the, that's the biggest slap in the face of these guys who accepted money like $911 when they're owed forty k. Is that uh, after this, then he's posting supposed online sports bets he made for like 16000 so why don't they ask him, okay, Adnan, why instead of betting 16000 on the Rams, why don't you just pay me that 16000 you owe me? But the problem, and he also asked them to make a post about this on 2 Plus 2 explaining all of this. So basically he, he promised to pay them within two weeks, promised to also make payments in that two weeks. and Like every few days. Or I think like within six days, and he's going to make another payment. Whatever it was, he's like, hey, give me two weeks, I'll make it right. Sent them a small amount of money up front, very small percentage of what they owed, and then told them to go post a two plus two. A few things: number one, that they had this agreement; number two, that uh, an initial payment was made; and number three, that everyone should get off the backs of Pete and Courtney because this isn't their fault. And the, Adnan didn't have them say this because. He's a great guy and wants to take responsibility for his own actions. He's saying this because Pete and Courtney are giving him a lot of shit, and he's afraid that soon enough they're going to come forward and ruin this further for him. So he basically was trying to buy time and then was probably trying to scam money and then gamble it up. It wouldn't surprise me if he was trying to make large sports bets to in a Hail Mary attempt to win the money the money back that he owes. Anyway, the guy who accepted 9-11 was owed, I think, $41,911, leaving the balance that is owed at 41000 even. What do you think happened since then? It was, uh, I think, about a week ago when he announced that he got the $911. 
He posts on 2 plus 2 as Donkey Copter. He posted an update yesterday as to how much Adnan has paid him since. Zero point zero. Are you guys shocked? Are you guys absolutely floored that Adnan did not make the payments he promised and that the balance is still at 41K? I can't believe it. I, I thought they had a deal. I thought I thought that Adnan was just kind of getting the money together while he's making his large sports bet. I, I thought he had so much money. Yeah, he was going to make this right. Of course. Someone asked, is he still communicating with you? Donkey Copter said back, he has been communicative, but mostly indicating that he's waiting on balances due from other people so he can pay out. (laughs) That is straight out of the scammer who's caught playbook. Sorry, man, I want to pay you, but these other people screwed me. So now unless these these people who screwed me, unless these scammers pay me, then I can't pay you. I'm so sorry, but, you know, people screwed me. So what can I do? Scammers love to blame others, sometimes other people, sometimes companies. There's, there's always the bank is holding my money because of some error story. Scammers love to say that they have a whole lot of money. They just can't access it right now. Give them a few days. They'll even say things like, look, if I don't pay you within a few days, then blow this up everywhere. Then, then you'll know you can't trust me. They'll say things like that. They, 100% you'll have your money in a few days. They sound so positive it's going to be made right. Then the time comes and they don't get anything. Now, why did he give them any money? Why did he give them $911? Well, because it's worth something to him to buy time. He obviously was trying to scam and raise more money. Maybe gamble it up on long shot attempts. So he wanted to buy time. Even with a very small amount of money, you can go on a sports betting site and play some crazy parlay that has a tiny, tiny percentage chance to win. But if it does win, you'll win tens tens of thousands of dollars. Maybe he did something like that. So he was just trying to buy time. Scammers love to buy time. Scammers love to offer that they are going to make good on their debt and then just make the first payment and disappear. When someone offers to make payments to you, this is the way it usually goes. And I've had this personally happen to me too. They make the first payment exactly as they promise in a very timely fashion. The second payment either never comes or comes a little bit late. Third payment never comes, and then they stop responding to you. It's amazing how many scammers operate in that exact same way. It doesn't seem to make a lot of sense. Like, if you know this is the way it's going to go, then why even make the first payment? But for some reason, that's how a lot of them operate. He also contradicted himself. He was telling them at one point that he really has a lot of money, but he's just getting it together. That's the 60K owed between these two people was a drop in the bucket. But, uh,. Now, all of a sudden, he has to uh, pay out of his own pocket because others screwed him. What happened to all the money he had? Well, I know where it is. It's uh, got wasted on tournament buy-ins where he was an underdog to cash or to profit. 
and to the sports books and to the to the casino pits. That's where the money went. So these people are never going to see their money. They're never going to see their money. They got screwed. Should we not feel bad for them because they should have known? Was this a risk they were taking by playing on a room like this? Were they at fault for not researching Adnan Mohammed more? Were they at fault for continuing to play when it was clear he wasn't paying them and winning even more money on there? That's what happened. These guys were owed money. He wasn't paying. And instead of just quitting and waiting until they'd see if he's going to pay or not, they continued to play and win more money. And then he owed them even more. Which, by the way, they may not realize this, but this is actually helping him scam other people. Because let's think about this. Let's take Donkey Copter, who is owed 41k now. I don't know how much he had on there when Adnan was first low paying him, but uh, or no paying him. But uh, let's just say hypothetically he had 15k when this started. Let's say a fish put 5k on the site. And then, or anyone, a fish or anybody else puts a 5K on the site, and then Donkey Copter, Copter beats him out of 5K. Well, Adnan gets to keep this 5K in his pocket. The person who lost the 5K doesn't expect it back. They know they lost, and that's it. So they're not knocking, asking for the money. The one who is asking for the money is Donkey Copter, and Donkey Copter is being stalled and is still playing. So what Donkey Copter and other pros' presence on the site allows is for Adnan to keep scamming various fish who don't even realize they'll never be paid because they don't win. And then the few people who are winning just not getting paid. So without the games going and the fish losing the money, this scam cannot take place. And that's an important thing to consider. It's not even just that these people who, by continuing to play, were screwing themselves. They were screwing other people, too, who were losing to them. These people don't know it because they lost the money either way, whether it was lost at the poker table or scam for them, but uh, this scam could not have gone on as long as it did if there were not active players on there still playing, rather than calling it out. But I, I don't want to blame them too much. They were just naive. And it's important you get you don't get too much into victim blaming in these situations. When these things happen, you need to, yes, you can acknowledge that the victims made mistakes that allowed them to end up in the situation they did, and in, in some cases the victims accidentally allowed the scam to proceed more successfully. But you can't blame them for this. They were victims. Donkey Copter was a victim. So you should blame those who really were responsible for the scam. Obviously, Adnan Mohammed is most to be blamed. But then Courtney Hamilton and Pete Burrell also deserve blame because they knowingly recruited people and used their good names at the time to bring people to that site and then washed their hands of it when people got cheated. And while Adnan Mohammed's name is going to be trash in poker from this point forward. No one will ever trust him again. 
every time his name comes up again, no matter how this ends, people are going to remind others of this whole scandal. I am concerned that Pete Burrell and Courtney Hamilton are going to skate away from this relatively unscathed. And they shouldn't. At the very least, they should be coming forward now and offering to return every penny they made from this scam, even if they made the money when they didn't realize it was a scam. Of course, most of the time they did know. So I posted in the 2 plus 2 thread, I said, I know you two are reading this. Let's hear from you guys. Number one, when did you first hear about payout problems? Number two, why did you continue to promote it once you heard about the payout problems? And number three, how much money did you make in total as an agent for Adnan Mohammed? And how much of that are you planning to give back to the community of people who got screwed there? Not just the community, but the people who got screwed. How much are you willing to give to the victims if they are not made whole by Adnan Mohammed, which it looks like they're not? A good person would say, okay, I made... $10,000 here as an agent? Okay, I'm going to distribute $10,000 know, proportionately to the victims who come forward and can show proof that they really were victims. That's what a good person would do. They'd give up any money they made from that scam, but, but they're not going to. I doubt they're going to. So you know what? Whatever happens, happens. If... Uh, you know, I'm not going to take any action in this. This doesn't involve me. I wasn't ever on the site. I, I've bugged Courtney on Twitter just because she deserves it, but I'm not going to do anything beyond that. But, you know, if, if people called Pete Burrell's work and he gets fired, tough luck. Pete could have come out and made a statement and offered to give back the money that he made from this and offered to help. Nope, he's just hiding from it. Courtney, same thing, just hiding from it. If she has future consequences to her reputation from this, so be it. She deserves it. Again, I'm not going to do any of these things myself. I'm not involved enough in the situation. I'm, I'm not the poker superhero. I'm not going to start vendettas against people who harmed others but not me. But, uh, you know, those that were affected by this if they take action against the accomplices too, tough luck on the accomplices, especially since the accomplices are just hiding and still counting their money that they made from it rather than coming forward and making this right. Don't ever accept the I was just an agent excuse in these type of situations. If someone knowingly promotes a scam and makes money from it, they owe the money back to those that were stolen from. And they owe an explanation and they owe their cooperation. Otherwise, they're pieces of shit. Remember that. Let's move on to the next topic. Another scandal that has occurred, another theft has occurred, but this time by a fairly well-known company in the gambling world, not by an individual. Five Dimes, which is a sports book, a pretty big U.S.-facing online sports book based out of Costa Rica, is accused, and I believe the accusations, they are accused of stealing $54,000 from the winner of a Bad Beat Jackpot. Oh my goodness. Now this is the type of thing, this is the type of thing 
that when first posted, it's it's easy to be skeptical. I will say that over the years, there have been a number of people that have come forward on 2 Plus 2 and other sites that have claimed that a poker site confiscated a large sum of money from them and that they did nothing wrong and that they were falsely accused of doing something wrong. Blah, 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 blah. And it turns out, lo and behold, the person was actually a cheater, a colluder, a multi-accounter, a chip dumper. And it turns out that the site caught them, confiscated their money, and then they go to the forums to try to play victim. And to those people, I say they deserve a big fat middle finger. The only thing worthy of discussion at that point is where the money actually has gone. Has it been just taken by the site or redistributed to players as it should have been? But it becomes much, much less of a scandal once it becomes clear that the person who had their money confiscated actually knowingly broke major terms of service and or cheated, which they rarely admit when they come forward and claim they were stolen from by the site. So whenever I see these stories of, oh my God, oh my God, such and such site stole $54,000 from me, I approach them with extreme skepticism. I'm not saying I don't believe them. I'm saying that I want to know a lot more details before I believe it. So that was the way I approached this one when it was first raised on 2 Plus 2 and then on other sites, including Poker Fraud Alert, a guy who calls himself Pablo. This is what Pablo posted on Poker Fraud Alert, Scam, scam, scam Scandals and Shadiness Forum on January 4th, 2019. The subject was called Five Dimes Poker is stealing $54,000 from me. He wrote, I signed up on Five Dimes three years ago after a poker friend said he plays there and it was an okay site. I did a little research and saw they had high ratings as a sports book, which is true. Also, I was not too concerned I was because I was playing recreationally, meaning he's just playing at low stakes, so he's not that worried. I was told by customer service that I could play the weekly poker free roll and was good to go. I took around third the first one I played. I used those winnings to play real money tables sporadically over the next three years, building up my bankroll to about $800. I probably paid a couple thousand in rake over that period. Last Friday, I was playing a small stakes, no limit, bad beat jackpot table, and the unthinkable happened. My quad eights were rivered by a straight flush. I was in shock as I am a working stiff, and this is more money than I make in a year. After the win, I thought I, I thought about I was going to be paying all my credit cards and paying down a good chunk of our mortgage. So let's stop here. So this guy was basically a recreational microstakes player. Seems like a fairly good player, but but still someone who didn't have a lot of money to risk playing poker. So what he did is he signed up to five dimes, did not make a deposit played their weekly free roll. He even verified with customer service before playing the free roll that it's fine with them if he wins money in the free roll without ever, ever having made a deposit. So in the first one he played, he, he finished like third, had a little bit of money. And, and this is like a cheap free roll. This is something that you don't win that much. He used the winnings from that free roll to actually sit down at real money tables and slowly built up his bankroll on there to 800 bucks. Just playing micro stakes and beating the fish in micro stakes. And, uh, but he played a lot of hands where he claims despite 
building his bankroll to 800 that he probably paid you know, a few thousand in rake. I don't know if that's an exaggeration, but he probably paid a lot in rake during that time. And then, of all things, he wins the Bad Beat jackpot, and his, his account balance goes up to 54000 So I guess he, the, the Bad Beat jackpot was like 53000 So let's go on here. So he was, he, I mean, think about this guy. This guy doesn't have much money. He calls himself a working stiff, meaning he's working some sort of fairly low-wage job, just getting by, has a mortgage, has credit cards. This is someone who doesn't have a lot of money to his name. 54000 is huge. It really... Wipes out a lot of the money he owes. So he said, for five days, there was no issue. And then I got home from working overtime on New Year's Day to find the funds confiscated. They tried to say it was because I did not deposit. I specifically asked about this when signing up and carefully read the terms of service. They did not argue that I couldn't play free rolls, but switched to the line in the terms of service that I could not take advantage of the site. I did not even play many free rolls after that because it is after my bedtime and I had built a bankroll on cash tables. So he's saying, look, it's not even like I was a professional free roll player. I barely played any. I happened to do well on the first one that's moved to the cash tables and that was that. Do not play this site because I have now dug deeper and I'm finding out they like to confiscate funds when someone wins a lot of money. Let me state that I've never done anything against the terms of service, nor have they said that I have, besides, quote, taking advantage of them by playing a free role they told me I could play in the first place. They let me continue to play there for three years until I won the money. That is a brutal story. This guy did absolutely nothing wrong. If his story was true. But how do we know his story was true? How do we know that he didn't get the money confiscated for some other reason? He says he didn't break the terms of service, but maybe he did, right? Maybe he's not telling us the truth. Well, as time passed, facts came out. First, he posted a chat log, which, again, could have been edited, but my feeling from reading it was that it was legitimate. My feeling from reading the stuff he was posting, that it was all legit and that he was telling us the truth and the whole truth. Couldn't be sure, but that was the gut feeling I was getting. So in this chat log, which he posted, he said, I cannot log into the poker room. I can log into the sports book, but it says you confiscated my funds. So they wrote, good afternoon, Mr. Whatever. Allow me a moment to check your account, please. And he says, I'm, I'm, I was lucky enough to win the bad beat jackpot on Friday. I don't understand what's going on. I definitely have not done anything wrong. This is obviously very troubling. For instance, I understand, sir. I'm checking your account. Please a few, wait a few moments. Thank you for holding, sir. Your access to Grand Poker, which they're called their poker room, uh, has been restricted because you are considered an inactive customer. That is, because you've never made a deposit on your account, prizes for tournaments will only be awarded to active depositing players. The poker access has been removed until you deposit. He says, are you saying that you've stolen all my funds and are not going to give them back? I've been playing on your site for three years. We haven't stolen anything, sir, said the rep. I understand, but you've never made a deposit. You need to deposit in order for your account to have access to the poker site. He says, but will I have access to the funds that were in my account? When I signed up, I asked the customer support, and they say it would be okay to play free rolls and sports bet and play poker without any problem. He said, and so the rep says back, I'm afraid the funds are not going to be back on your account, but the poker will be open for you to play. <laughs> 
So they're like, you need to make a deposit to be considered active here. So he's like, okay, well, I'll just deposit that. No, 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 no. You can deposit, but you, you still won't have access to the 54000 from before. That's that's gone. Do <laughs> you believe that? <coughs> Sorry about that. So this is insane. They're telling him he can still play, but, but his 54000 is gone. That's irreversible. So he says, I was told I was welcome to play poker three years ago. The person says back, you are, sir, but the problem is you never deposited. The funds in your account were money that you got on games without ever depositing. So Pablo says, could you please not do this to me? I was told it's okay. I've I've played and been a customer who played games and paid rake. I was never told about the deposit requirement. There must be something that can be done as I do not see how this is fair. And they wrote back, I'm sorry. There's nothing. I'm afraid there's like nothing I can do. You can deposit now and have access to poker, but unfortunately the funds are not going back into your account. He asks, why was I told it's not a problem when I spoke to customer support when I signed up? How can I play and, and win and lose for three years with no issue? person said back, I was checking and it seems that no one ever told you that. So they're denying what he claims he was told. I'm really sorry, but there's nothing we can do as you accepted our rules at the moment you created the account. He said, can I please see that in the rules? I spoke to a customer service rep and asked the question three years ago. I'm not lying about this. Again, I don't understand how this could possibly happen considering I've played, won, and lost and paid rake and supported the site with no issue. This obviously seems inappropriate and I cannot understand how I could be playing for three years and for once in my life I win something big and it's being ripped away from me with no plausible explanation. So here's where it gets good. The person wrote back, I understand. On the site, you can find these terms. Management reserves the right to confiscate the bonus, affiliate earnings, and or the applied transaction fees in any accounts deemed to be taking advantage of our programs. Also, free play prizes for this tournament will only be awarded to active depositing players. So those were two terms that they were cutting and pasting from their rules. And they posted links there for Pablo to see. So this taking advantage thing is ridiculous. Obviously, he wasn't taking advantage of anything. He was just playing normally, happened to win a free roll. And why have a free roll if people can't keep the money they win from it? Uh, but of concern here is, was there really a term saying free play prizes for the tournament will only be awarded to active depositing players? Was was that term really there? Still crappy if they do this and just shove that term in somewhere, but... Was it there? Are they telling the truth that this term was there three years ago? They're they're posting a link for him to see this right now, but that doesn't mean it was there three years ago. So they wrote to him, I'm sorry, sir, there's nothing we can do. The decision is final. You can deposit and have access back to the poker room if you want. He says, yeah, I don't think that's going to happen. <laughs> Pablo says back, he says, okay, is there anything else we can assist you with? And... Uh, they, they, they go back and forth. I won't continue reading it. You can find it on Poker Fraud Alerts, but uh, you get the gist here. They absolutely would not budge. The conversation ended with with Pablo asking, so you're telling me that it's acceptable to confiscate my previous bankroll as well prior to me winning the Bad Beat Jackpot? Is there even, he's even talking about the $800 before the Bad Beat Jackpot. They said, yes, as you've never made a deposit. So, hmm. This really comes down to whether or not that term 
was there. I mean, as I said, it's still crappy if the term is there because they need to make it really, really clear before you play a free roll that you're not going to get to keep the money if you haven't deposited yet. They, in fact, they should just put something in their system to prevent you from even playing the free roll if you haven't deposited. But, but that aside, if the term was never there three years ago when he signed up, then 100% he's in the right. But how can we see that? Wouldn't it be nice if we could borrow Doc Brown's DeLorean from back in the future, back to the future and travel back to 2015? Wouldn't that be nice? Uh, wouldn't that be nice to go to 2015? Great start. If my calculations are correct, it is now precisely October 21st, 2015. The future has finally arrived. Yes, it is different than we all thought. But don't worry. It just means your future hasn't been written yet. No one's hands. Your future is whatever you make it. So make it a good one. So maybe uh, Doc Brown can take us then to October 26, 2015, and we can we can see the terms of service back then. I tried to contact him, but he was not available. He could not bring the DeLorean to my house to allow me to take a look at the terms on October 26, 2015. So I had to go to Plan B. I had to figure out another way to see what the terms were. But before taking a look at what the terms were, I wanted to take a look at what the terms are. So on January 5th, 2019, just six days ago, I looked at the terms, which were there after this all occurred. They linked them to them. And this is what they're talking about. I'm going to read you the last term. They had uh, six terms there. The last one says, money coming from the poker room can only be withdrawn by active customers. By active, we refer to players who deposited cash into their Five Dimes accounts. Five Dimes reserves the right to confiscate funds and prizes from inactive accounts. Also, free roll abusers will have their poker option removed until they become active by depositing. Hmm, seems to kind of back up exactly what that rep was telling him. In fact, this this is really backing up exactly what this rep was telling him. In fact, this seems to be exactly about what happened to Pablo, to the letter. So, how's that possible? How How did they see three years in the future that this was going to occur and wrote this term that someone was going to win a lot of money without ever depositing. How did they see that in advance? Maybe they have Doc Brown's time machine. Well, the only way to find out is to see what their terms once looked like. Were these terms always there, or did they just insert this after Pablo won? Well, remember, Pablo won at the very end of uh, 2018. They broke the bad news to him on January 1st, 2019. So, if we go back to any time before he won, then we can take a look at their terms. Now, it would be better to look at their terms from 2015. But would it? I think it would actually be better to look at both the terms in 2015 and the terms just before he won the free roll then not only will we see what the terms were, but we'll see their intent. 
See, if they added this term, say, in 2017, then Pablo is still in the clear because when he signed up, he was allowed to win that free roll in 2015. But if they added it in 2017, then it wasn't because he won a big bad beat jackpot because that hadn't happened yet. But if they just put that term in right after he won, then they added it to the rules specifically to steal the money from him. And that shows really, really bad shady intent. So, well, I don't have a time machine. I do have the Google cache. When you Google something, sometimes there is a little arrow at the very end of the URL, like a little down arrow. And if you click on that down arrow, you will have the option to view Google's cache of the site, which is usually useful to look at if the site is down. So if you want to like read some information on a site, but it's down right now, but all you want to do is read something, you don't want to interact on there, then you can look at the Google cache, and you know, sometimes it's a few weeks or a month old, but uh, at least you can see the information you want to see. So there, there aren't Google caches of all sites, but there is of the Five Dimes rule page. So... Google's cash was from December 2nd, 2018. Perfect. That's before Pablo won, but still fairly recently. So I looked at all the terms. I see the first one about collusion. I see the second one about chip dumping. The third one about uh, internet disconnection being intentional, and that's against the rules. I've seen the fourth one about uh, poker action being subject to review. I see the fifth one about abusive and inappropriate language in the chat. Those are the first five terms that I saw on the other page. But wait a minute, there is no sixth term. On December 2nd, 2018, there was no term about playing the free roll if you hadn't deposited. Just a month before this happened, less than a month before this happened, this term didn't exist. So this term didn't exist for the entire three years, plus he was there. Then right when he wins the 53K bad beat jackpot, they inserted the term and sent him a link to that term as if it had always been there. Just so they could steal his money. Now you may say, maybe they're not stealing it. Maybe what they're doing is they're just putting it back in the bad beat jackpot. Maybe they just feel he's not a customer because he never deposited. Which is crappy because he did pay rake in the real money games. They were raking the pot that came from other real money players that did deposit. So once you're playing real money poker and paying rake from your free roll winnings, you are a customer at that point. You're not just a free roll leech. But that aside, let's say they don't consider him a customer and they're taking it for that reason. Well, that should mean the 53K goes back into the bad beat jackpot for someone else to win, right? Nope. The 53K that he won from the Bad Beat Jackpot was never returned to the Bad Beat Jackpot. (laughs) Oh, boy. They just outright stole it. And they stole it using a term of service they invented after he won. Proof was right there. I posted it on Poker Fraud Alert. Go take a look. You'll see the 2018, December 2nd, 2018 version and the January 5th, 2019 version, only about five weeks apart. 
where they added that term after he won. Wow. By the way, looking back to 2015, that term wasn't in there either, as you might guess. Pablo also found, by looking at the JavaScript of the rules page, that the rules page was updated on January 2nd, 2019. So that's when they added that term, January 2nd, 2019, exactly one day after they confiscated his money. Gets worse and worse, huh? This is what Pablo then received back from them when he wrote to them to point out that he realized that they added the term after he won. Thank you for contacting us. After checking the transcript of the chat you had with our supervisor, Zed, it looks like you already got an explanation of this. I understand that you don't see this as an abuse of any of our bonus programs. However, playing for three years without making a deposit, using our software, and possibly taking time from clerks and people behind all the business, which costs some money as well, let me tell you, that's abuse. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. Any of the information provided has changed since you chat with our supervisor, as mentioned. In chat, prizes, bonus, and winnings are honor for active customers only. That doesn't really make much sense. This is someone who doesn't speak good English. Uh, let us know if you need further assist- assistance. Best regards, Desiree. <laughs> They're not only stealing his money. They're chiding him for taking time from their clerks and people behind the business by playing without depositing. Not only are we taking your money, you're a bad, bad person for wasting our time. Can you believe this? So the people on the forums, including Poker Fraudler, were just shocked by this. By the way, the the Bad Beat Jackpot games, they were raking a ton of that, too. They were raking extra money on those games for the Bad Beat Jackpot. His presence in those games was helping them go. So to review... He played the free role, which he was allowed to do. He played in cash games and paid rake. Others, of course, paid rake playing with him. He, play, it paid in the, he played in the bad beat jackpot and paid extra rake. He won the bad beat jackpot. He did everything correctly under their rules. They stole his money. And then they invented a rule after the fact, after they stole his money, that justifies them stealing his money, claiming that rule was in place more than three years ago. Wow. I offered Pablo to come on this show. He said that uh, he's strongly considering it. Someone on Poker Fraud Alert actually suggested that Pablo go to Sportsbook Review, as known as SBR, because they have a good relationship with Five Dimes. And that, uh, actually, I'm not sure if he was suggested. No, I think he just did it on his own. Never mind. I don't want to be inaccurate here. It was uh, that he, he, he went around to all the forums posting about this, which is correct. It's the right thing to do. And one of the places he 
contacted with Sportsbook Review because they had a good relationship with Five Dimes and they had rated them A plus or whatever. So uh, he's saying, look, they don't deserve this good rating. And so Sportsbook Review offered to intervene on his behalf and just kind of go to bat for him. Now I have some issues with Sportsbook Review. They've they've rated sites very well before that don't deserve it because these sites uh, advertise with them or they have affiliate deals with them. And there's been times where A-rated sites go down and Sportsbook Review was aware of people complaining about slow paying and they were still keeping them A-rated. So they're not perfect, but uh, in this case, Sportsbook Review came through. And amazingly, they got it resolved. And he got paid. He said, after Sportsbook Review helped me with this matter, Five Dimes has returned all funds. Thank you to Dan Druff and to all of you here helping me out. Uh, now, Pablo said, I was asked to see if thread titles could be modified since Five Dimes did the right thing and refunded all funds. Thanks again, guys. I'm truly grateful. Um, Pablo, I hope you get your money. If you getting your money was hinged upon modifying the thread title, I, I would probably do it just to help you out because it's so much money. And uh, I wouldn't cover up the story, but um, you know, if something small could be done to assist you to get paid, then I would. But but in this case, it looks like they've paid you already. So my suggestion to you, Pablo, is to cash out immediately. Don't look back. Never come back. Take every dime off the site. Just because they re-enabled your $54,000 doesn't mean it's yours. You've got to cash it out and receive it. So get get that money off the site. ASAP. And as far as the thread title here, F them. This is what happened. This is the true and correct version of what occurred. I'm not going to change it. If five dimes would like to come here, and post their own side of the story, they're welcome to. And if they can convince me that I have wrongly categorized the situation or that Pablo's original thread title was inaccurate, then I'll change it. But I think it's pretty clear what really happened here. But he probably just has to go around. That's probably just something he agreed to, that he needs to go around and ask us to change the thread title. So... He can ask, and uh, I'm not going to do it unless it's absolutely necessary for this guy to get his money. Someone asked in the thread, is there not a jurisdictional gaming board in Costa Rica governing the online gaming that you can report these sites to? Uh, There might be, but nothing will get done. You're, You're basically screwed when this happens. So... That's the risk you take. The only thing you can do is either harm their reputation, threaten to harm their reputation, um, threaten other things, or get someone to intervene on your behalf, as he did. You can't really go to any official board that will force them to pay, even if they are technically regulated. The regulation... Of these sites in places like Costa Rica, they're really just rubber stamp regulations where 
they're allowed to operate from there and they pay a good sum of money to the country to do so. That's all these countries care about is money. They're, these are small, impoverished countries that like having this revenue. And they don't give a crap about scamming. So happy ending, right? So what about Five Dimes now? Five Dimes has long had a reputation prior to this for being mostly honest, but for being a bit overly paranoid about people cheating them. If they catch you doing anything they deem unethical, such as bonus abuse, and I mean real abuse, not what they call there, but you know, when, when someone really is abusing bonuses by making multiple accounts to get bonuses or, or, or you know, depositing to get bonuses over and over when they already have a big bankroll on the site, or uh, you know, there's a lot of different ways people can abuse bonuses. So if they notice any form of bonus abuse... Or if they see you trying to take advantage of something like like past posting. Past posting means you can uh, betting betting on a game that's already concluded that is accidentally still up there to bet on. If they catch anything like that, they not only stop you from collecting your winnings from this abuse, but they also will take all of your money. So there have been a number of stories over the years that people have posted that five dimes confiscated their money. And then when the story gets fleshed out, it turns out they were trying to pull some angles on on the site. And then the owner, Tony, we're going to talk about shortly, would personally talk to them and cuss them out and be really nasty and really aggressive and basically say, you're trying to screw me? Well, guess what? I took all your money. That's what you get for trying to cheat me. So not only would Tony not allow you to get away with cheating him, but he would take everything in your account as a punishment. So the general consensus about five dimes was if, if you just use them in a straightforward fashion, don't try to get cute with the bonuses and, and don't try to screw around, but just bet normally on games or play poker normally, then whatever you win, you're going to get to keep. But if you screw around at all, they're going to be very unforgiving and just take your money and give you a big middle finger. And that the owner of five dimes, Tony, is kind of an asshole. Actually, more than kind of, he's a big asshole and very stubborn and unreasonable. So people had mixed feelings about the place. They were paying out. They never had payout problems. It seemed the people who had the problems with them were ones who were already trying to angle in some way, but this one is very disturbing because this is a guy who was not angling in some way, and had they kept his money, they would have just kept it, not returned it to the bad beat jackpot, which is, of course, terrible. The whole thing's terrible. So I'd watch out with five dimes. Now you might wonder, what about Tony? Because Tony got kidnapped back in September of 2018, allegedly. And we heard about it in October. Then a few weeks later, or not a few weeks later, like a week later after it came out, we heard that he was found dead. And then nothing. Now, keep in mind, the report that he was found dead was from a source that was kind of hard to trust. The OIJ, which is the equivalent of the FBI in the U.S., the OIJ in Costa Rica, never made any kind of direct announcement about any of this. Despite the fact that they got very involved in 
kidnappings involving other people who were foreigners living in Costa Rica or visiting Costa Rica. Tony was an American. But he lived in Costa Rica for many years running that site. So their lack of involvement in this, their lack of statement about this, and their lack of verification that he was found dead was very suspicious to people. And then the rumors started coming out that Tony wasn't really dead, that he was really in hiding, that he was in witness protection, that he was going to testify against his partners, that the U.S. actually arranged a fake death for him. Then there were other rumors that the hammer was about to come down from the U.S. Department of Justice and that he was in hiding, that he faked his own death without the help of the U.S. government and is hiding somewhere in another country and that the Bitcoin, the Bitcoin quote, ransom that was paid of 750000 to a million dollars, that that was actually his own money paid to him to go live on while he was hiding. There's always been a lot of questions unanswered about this case. There's a lot we don't know. And it was not updated for quite some time. All of December passed and most of November without any kind of real update. What did Five Dimes say about the kidnapping? And, and this supposed death. What did they say? Did they acknowledge his death? Did they acknowledge the kidnapping? Well, they did acknowledge the kidnapping. But when his death was announced, they did not confirm or deny that. Um... This is such a strange situation. And we've talked about this before. So is Tony really dead? Was his disappearance intentional? And as I mentioned the last time we talked about this, I think late November I talked about this, that the last we heard from Five Dimes that they were still hoping for his safe return. But they did make a statement that they're going to proceed with business as usual. So maybe not. Maybe business as usual is now stealing money from players. Well, I have an update for you. I have an update that was just found today by Bad Guy 23 from a news site in Costa Rica that an article was written in Spanish and you can use Google Translate to read it in English, which I'm going to do for you, which tells us some more. So let's take a look at this article. This article, dated January 11, 2019, today, gives us a lot more information. Two traffic policemen were at the cornerstone in the plan of the criminal organization behind the kidnapping and disappearance of William Sean Creighton 
That's his real name. A 43-year-old American owner of a sportsbook loaded, located in Costa Rica and who was kidnapped on September 24, 2018. In the crime complex, five members of a family, several relatives, and two traffic men participated. Ah! Sounds like it's real. Again, this is Costa Rican media. C-R-H-O-Y, C-R-H-O-Y.com, H-O-Y.com. But nevertheless, this is claiming that uh, a number of people were involved in a real kidnapping, including two policemen. As described by Walter Espinoza, director of the Judicial Investigation Agency, the OIJ, the action of the officers allowed intercepting the victim when he was traveling aboard his vehicle in the Granadilla sector of Curitabat. From there, the kidnapping occurred. Of the 12 detainees so far, so the same 12 people got arrested over this, the three alleged leaders who planned the kidnapping stand out. The three are Costa Ricans and fled to Spain. Until this Friday, they remained hidden in the city of Zaragoza. It is a man, his girlfriend, and his mother. So those are the ringleaders, supposedly, that have fled to Spain in Zaragoza. A man, his girlfriend, and his mother. At this moment, the victim of the kidnapping is still missing, and the OIJ deploys this Friday a raid related to the case in the La Trinidad de Moravia sector. Hmm. This is a 25-year-old named Morales Vega, in addition to his mother of 45 years. <laughs> his mother of 45 years. His mom's younger than me, and this guy's 25. I guess it makes her 20 when he was born. That's not that bad. Uh, her name is uh, Vega Aguirre and his sentimental partner Solis Chavez who's 24 Morales never had a working relationship with the victim meaning Tony and is believed to have selected his target due to his knowledge of virtual currency meaning Bitcoin and betting issues probably meaning that he had a sports book I think we're trying to say that Morales came up with this plan because uh, he knew that Tony had a lot of Bitcoin from running five times. After committing the kidnapping, Morales fled to Cuba, El Salvador, and Spain. In Cuba, he met with his mother and his girlfriend to travel to the European continent. On the night of September 24th, Creighton was approached while driving through the Granadilla de Curitabat. I guess that's a city around there. Previously, the kidnapper group had guarded the outskirts of the victim's company to design and execute the plan. With the help of traffic police, four individuals traveling in a pickup, including Morales Vega, removed the victim from his car and apparently moved him to La Trinidad de Moravia. In that event, also participated a man named Vega Aguirre, who is the uncle of the main suspect and the brother of his mother. Hmm. In principle... They asked, I don't know what in principle, doesn't really fit here, by bad translation. They asked for a ransom of $5 million. However, at the end, relatives paid around $1 million in Bitcoin. There were two contacts after the kidnapping to negotiate payment. These money transfers were managed through three virtual wallets. The investigation began on September 25th, 2018, when the money had already been paid, but the victim had or has not been located. That may be what happened. 
Precisely the tracking of the computers where the money would have been received is vital to tie the case and bind the suspects. I, I mentioned that. I mentioned that Bitcoin is not untraceable. Some people believe it is, but but everything's written to the blockchain. Every transaction is written to the blockchain. And where you become vulnerable is if you receive the Bitcoin at a wallet that you've used before for other things. So, for example, if you pay me a million dollars ransom to my wallet, I might be anonymous so I think, but if prior to that I used that same wallet to purchase something online, they can trace back that purchase and then figure out who I am. So, and also the process of cashing out, same thing. Even if I've never used that wallet before, you have to convert the Bitcoin to cash in some way so if I cash out in some way that identifies me again, I can be found. So I think that's what it's saying there. The group leader is a, is appointed by the OIJ. I think they mean I, I, appoint is the wrong word here. I think they're saying the group leader is described by the OIJ as a young expert in virtual currency and online betting management issues. He never worked for Creighton. However, it's believed because of his knowledge of the subject to which the victim's company is dedicated, he opted to put the magnifying glass on him. <laughs> That's a funny way they phrased it. There lives a woman with last name Aguirre Leal, who is the grandmother of Morales Vega and mother of Vega Aguirre. She's 71. His house would have served as the first captivity site to hold the victim. The older adult was also arrested today. They said his, they mean her. This is translated, so it's possible it was written okay in Spanish, and when translated to English, you get these mistakes. But anyway, this is saying that there's a, a grandmother involved. The guy, the guy got his grandmother to use his house, to, to use her house. I'm making the mistake now. To use her house to hold Tony. <laughs> the, guy, the guy kidnaps Tony with the help of his mother, and then he goes, grandmother, hey, grandma, hey, I'm here with a guy I'm holding for ransom. Can can you help hold him here? Maybe make him some chicken soup and knit him a sweater? So a 71-year-old grandma was arrested too. It says, while that happened, the car of the victim was transported by another of the kidnappers, surnamed Ford, who left him after a crash in San Isidoro de Heredia. It is believed the main suspects were constantly moving between different places. There they had in their power thousands of euros in cash, and documentation that relates them to the sending of electronic money and mining of Bitcoin. The mother of the alleged leader is believed that she had played in the, an active role in the crime as she would have followed up with a victim outside the sports book. Also, she would have received part of the virtual money as payment for the supposed release. There were nine actions that followed the capture of an equal number of defendants in places such as Cartago, La Union, Guadalupe, Moravia, Santo Domingo de Heredia, and Limón. In Zaragoza, Spain, three people were arrested. In the raids in Costa Rica, firearms, cell phones, tablets, computers, vehicles, SIM cards, annotated papers, and shopping vouchers, and cash were found during raids. 
the pickup would have been used to kidnap the American, would have was confiscated days ago. They mean the pickup truck that they was used for the kidnapping. They already confiscated that. And as that goes to Spain, at least 4,000 euro was placed in cash and cards used for via, virtual currency transactions. An accounting book and electronic devices were also seized. The current 12 detainees involved in this. Leader of the group, Morales Vega, 25, arrested in Spain. His mother, Vega Aguirre, arrested in Spain, 45 years old. Solis Chavez, the girlfriend of Morales Vega, 24 years old, also arrested in Spain. Vega Aguirre, 46 years old, the uncle of Morales and brother of Vega Aguirre. He's the presumed kidnapper. Aguirre Leal, 71 years old, the grandma of Morales and the mother of Vega Aguirre. Uh, she had the house where that uh, Tony was held for some time. Sanabria Abarca, a 35-year-old woman, also a kidnapper with a history of aggravated robbery. Sounds like a nice woman. Martinez Chacon, 39 years old, one of the kidnappers. Sanchez Gamboa, 45 years old, and one of the kidnappers. Medrano Vargas, 34 years old, a transit officer who would have helped stop the car where the victim was going. Hiron Lopez, 36 years old, transit transit operator, also who helped stop the car. So it sounds like it was a, a traffic stop where then he was kidnapped. Ford Dowman, 37 years old, a kidnapper who took charge of the car from abroad. And Riviera Macis, 64 years old, presumed participant in the retention of the American. They don't explain further. Mm. Pretty brutal. So, this looks like this is real. Looks like Tony is not hiding. Looks like uh, Tony could actually be dead. They haven't found him, and he was kidnapped uh, now three and a half months ago. Take this. And uh, the OIJ actually had a news conference about this. Come on. I'm trying to play a news conference playing the Google ad. I can't even stop it. I'm not going to play it. Google does not get free ads on the site. They're big enough. Sorry about that if that blew out your ears. <laughs> uh, anyway, th- this is real. I really became convinced. I-, I was believing the conspiracy theorists that this was fake because there was no statement from the OIJ. Uh, there was no verification or denial of the death of the body that was found supposedly just so many shady elements to this so many contradicting stories about it It wasn't really covered in any media that could be trusted but now from all this i mean there's 12 people arrested including three in spain this is real so yeah it appears tony was kidnapped and he may be dead and it seems like a, a million in Bitcoin was received, and they initially demanded $5 million, And the mastermind of the plan was a 25-year-old who was an, an expert, or they claim an expert. He knew enough about Bitcoin and 
the five dimes business that he thought they could get away with this. He he basically knew that Tony had a lot of Bitcoin, that they were accepting and paying out Bitcoin all the time, that they were doing very well. Got a group together and said, hey, let's kidnap this guy and hold him for five million ransom, and he's definitely got it. And he has a lot of Bitcoin already. It's it's foolproof. Then we'll take off to other countries, and that's that. Didn't work out, but the question is, where's Tony? It looks like they've gotten most of the people. That's why I think he's probably dead. You have the three ringleaders who are in Spain already. Tony wasn't found there, and clearly they didn't bring him all the way to Spain with them. You have these kidnappers. He wasn't with them. You have the grandmother whose house he was at at one point but wasn't there anymore. You have the officers who helped with the kidnapping, but Tony is not with them. You have a guy who was a kidnapper that was that took charge of the car, but uh, wasn't with him. Who's left? I mean, who are they still looking for? You'd think with all the people they arrested here, they would have found Tony, but they didn't. So I have a feeling that uh, he's dead and they dumped him in the ocean somewhere. Maybe they didn't really have a good plan for releasing him without getting caught. Maybe they figured that the only way out was to kill him. They figured they got a million dollars out of them, that was that, and they wouldn't pay more, and they just said, screw it, let's kill him. But, you know, this is the risk that Tony takes by operating a sports book in a place like Costa Rica and being high profile enough and being known as a, a rich American there, you're taking the chance this happens one day. I'm not saying he deserved to die, but I'm also saying from everything I've heard about him, he's, he's not a very good guy. This is not someone I'm saying, oh, he was so young, it's so tragic. No. This was a shady guy who moved to a foreign country to run an illegal sports book, who didn't treat his customers very well. And basically he went to another country to commit crimes and make a lot of money. And he got kidnapped and probably killed. That is the way it goes. Again, not something I'd wished on him, but at the same time I wouldn't say it's a tragedy. I also wonder if uh, Tony's kidnapping and assumed death might be the reason that they're starting to play faster and looser with confiscations there. At least the confiscations before, while overly aggressive and punitive, were aimed at people who were trying to angle in some way. Now it's starting to appear they're just outright stealing. So I I think you have to start being wary of five dimes. That's a pretty big update, though, so thank you, bad guy. Thank you, bad guy. That update delivered right in time for the show today. If I did the show yesterday or Wednesday, we wouldn't have this yet. At least not on radio. So, that is interesting. That is very interesting and surprising. All right. Uh, 
If you want to call me, text me because I, tr- I actually turned off the phone. Um, the, the phone was actually uh, causing the, the way I have it set up was causing a little interference in the show, which I would have tolerated if I was getting calls. But it's so late, I figured we're not going to get many calls now. So, if, if you want to call in, just text me seven seven five three seven two eight three five five, and I'll turn on the phone. But I just had a feeling we weren't getting any calls tonight. Here are the texts we've received tonight from the 818. Lu- rumor is liberal chicks sleep around. And the 505, the people who screwed Adnan screwed me. Ravens minus three. It's a sports betting reference. I'm not sure exactly what he means there. Uh, could you please block Limitless from the chat? He's been an asshole all night. Thanks. That's from the 801. From the 916, damn, Pablo got lucky. Yeah, I agree. I didn't think it was looking very good for him as far as getting his money. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm reading the chat here, and Limitless, who has a drinking problem and just gets to be a very angry drunk, this is what he's writing in chat. Come on, Todd. Please drop the something. I can't even drop the fajitas. He misspelled it with a bunch of numbers in there. Drop the bagels. Drop the pasta. You are a carbo freak, and we don't really care. Just cut it. Please shut up. Loudmouth idiot. Can you believe the bullshit that spews from this idiot? That's me. I'm the idiot who's spewing bullshit. Uh, go ahead and fucking tard ban me, you stupid bitch. All right. Well, if that's what he wants. Oh, he left. Never mind. I can't even ban him. I can't even ban him because he left. <laughs> All righty. Um, let's move on here. Jeez, we've hardly gotten through the... I've done... Oh my god, I've done three topics so far? I feel like I've been doing this show forever. Chicago Joey Ingram. He is now receiving some criticism given that he bashed poker stars and Negranu a lot along with his friend Doug Polk. Polk bashed them a lot and so did Negranu and uh, so did Ingram and Polk and uh, Negreanu, of course, had a huge feud. And Ingram was very much on Polk's side, and Ingram was very has been critical of poker stars in the past, rightfully so, about some things poker stars did. But over the Christmas holiday, poker stars was handing out free platinum passes to certain prominent people on social media and in poker in general. Platinum passes were including a 25K buy-in to their big tournament there at the PCA in the Bahamas in January, plus another 5K as part of the package for travel expenses, hotel, food, etc. So it's a 30K package. They were handing a few of those out to people. Kev Math, Kevin Mathers got one. Linda Johnson, known as the First Lady of Poker, got one. They, They both were given it supposedly for their contributions to poker. I think it was more of a gimmick poker stars was doing so they could 
show the poker community that, hey, look, you know, we really care about you guys. Look, look at the cool thing we're doing here. I mean, it's great. I'm, I'm glad KevMath got it. But uh, I think this was kind of done as a backdoor marketing move. But whatever, you know, great for KevMath. They also gave one, as I mentioned, two weeks ago. They, they gave it to that guy who was crying on camera when his girlfriend or his wife bought him into the World Series for 2019 as a Christmas gift. But the reason they gave one to that guy was because someone else who was offered one for his, quote, contributions to poker lobbied for this guy to get it. They offered one to Chicago Joey Ingram. And Joey said back, I accept only if you also give one to this guy. And Poker Stars agreed, so Joey got his platinum pass, as did this guy who was crying on camera. Well, Joey took a lot of heat over this. Oh, you know, first you you bash Poker Stars and bash Negranu for being so greedy to take money from them and to be a shill. Now you've become a shill yourself, thanking Poker Stars constantly and saying how wonderful they are once they give you something. So it's okay to criticize Negranu for taking money from Poker Stars to say positive things about them and to defend them. They give you a 30K package and all of a sudden you say, I love Poker Stars. That, that's what people were saying to Joey. People were calling him a hypocrite, a hypocrite, a sellout, and other nasty names. And when I say people, I don't mean everyone, but there were several people on social media who were very critical of him. Some even told him that he has joined the dark side in a Star Wars reference. So has Chicago Joey really done that? Has he really gone over to the dark side? Is this true? I don't think so. I don't agree. I don't feel that Chicago Joey is sold out. Now, yes, it's true he's criticized poker stars. Yes, it's true that he's uh, criticizing Negranu. But, first of all, he wasn't at the forefront of this as much as Doug Polk was and other people were. And second, I don't recall Chicago Joey ever saying that, and maybe I'm wrong, I haven't followed him super closely, but I don't recall him ever telling people absolutely never take a, a, a sponsorship from poker stars. But this isn't a sponsorship, by the way. This is like a one-time thing. I've never seen him say, no one ever play on poker stars ever again. Maybe he said this, but I, I don't recall him ever saying this. If he did, then it changes a little bit. But I've seen him criticizing them. For their actions. Which is fine. And if they want to offer him something in recognition for what he's done for the game, they're basically trying to make nice to the poker community by giving the, a few of these out. Fine, let people take them. It's not like Joey got one of these and said, oh, thank you guys. Hey, I just want to let everyone know uh, Doug Polk was full of crap when he was criticizing poker stars. Uh, what I said about poker stars that was negative, that's not true. Like if he changed his opinions and, and modified what he said in the past or tried to 
change his views on certain incidents just because they gave him this, then he'd definitely be someone who sold out. Or if he'd be someone who just uh, all of a sudden has turned around and is super pro stars about everything and won't acknowledge when they've done anything wrong, then I'd agree he sold out. But it's only been a short time. We haven't seen any evidence of that happening. All I've really seen is he was just thanking them. He was excited about the PCA. He was thanking them. He was thanking them for giving it to that other person that he requested they give it to. He was thanking them for this. And for him not to thank them would make him an ingrate. Let's say Poker Stars offered me that 25K Platinum Pass and that free trip. Would I have accepted it? Yes. Well, maybe. I, I might have had a hard time taking the flight at this point because of my issues. But uh, putting that aside... If I that actually would be tough. If I, if they gave that to me and then I had to take a, a long flight to get to the Bahamas, which is actually two flights, there's a long one to Florida and then a short one to Bahamas from there. Um, that'd be tough. First thing I think I'd try to do is see if I could transfer it or sell it. But when it's given to you like that, you probably can't. I don't know if I could leave that on the table. I did leave a few thousand dollars of free play on the table when I had this simply because I couldn't even drive and travel to Vegas at that point. But at this point, now that I've improved psychologically a good deal, if I had to leave behind a 25K tournament that I got for free, ugh, I think I'd have to try it. I think I, I'd have to see if I could make the flight or take a test flight first to see if I can do it and then just kind of try to force myself. I guess one other option, I guess there would have been one other option. I could take a train all the way to Florida. That'd be kind of brutal, but I could take a train or a bus all the way to Florida and then just take that short flight to the Bahamas. That'd be kind of brutal to go both ways, though. Take many days. Well, it wasn't offered to me, but putting that aside, putting the, the flight part aside, I would accept it, and I've criticized PokerStars plenty. Would I be gracious? Would I thank them on there? Yeah, of course I would. I wouldn't say, oh yeah, site equals joke, and yeah, you guys screw Supernova Elites, and oh, you guys, uh, you guys ripped me off years ago when, when you, after Black Friday, when you screwed me on my redemption of my VPPs, or FPPs it was, which they did. Like, I'm not going to come out and be all negative and be a jerk after they hand me $25,000 with a free tournament. So, of course, when something like that is given to you, you've got to be gracious and thank them and say nice things about their gesture. However, if this was given to me, would that stop me from criticizing them in the future? No. Would that change my mind about past criticisms I've given of them? No. Would I take back anything I've said in the past? No. If they made that a requirement of accepting this, would I do it? No. Let's say they said, hey, you know, uh, come out there and say that we weren't that bad with what we did with the Supernova Elite and we'll give you the pass. I'd say, no, I'm not going to do that. So I don't think Joey sold out. But we'll see in the future if, if Joey seems to be two pro poker stars going forward in spots where we think that he'd normally be against poker stars for things they do. Then, yes, he probably sold out. But I don't think so. I think I think he just took something valuable they gave him for free, thanked them, and that's that. 
All right. I want to talk about something unrelated to poker, but is a worthy discussion topic. Now, right now it's 1233. We've been on the air for about three hours. We have this topic, and then we actually have four others. Of those five topics we have, uh, two of them are short and three are kind of medium. We don't have any super long ones like the Mo- the Adnan Muhammad topic or the Five Dines topic. Those are long topics. But uh, we have three kind of medium topics and two short ones. So I'm not going to be out of here anytime soon. I'll be honest. I want to talk about these things. And this is what happens when we haven't done a show in two weeks. That there's a lot to talk about, especially with some of these big stories that happen. But uh, I also am starting to have some throat soreness. Is it just me here? There's no, there's no one else doing the show with me, as you, you've heard. Don't even have, have Trader Ruski here. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to play Eric Benzamokin's ad. He's still very generous to the free roll and all that. He definitely deserves his ad to be played. And I'm going to go get uh, my dry mouth rinse, which helps me not hurt as much. And then I should be able to finish the show out. So... I'm going to try to get this done in the two whatever minutes it takes to play the ad, but I may have to play it twice if I'm not finished in time. Just bear with me. If you're listening in the archives, just uh, fast forward this about two minutes and see if I'm back. Actually, what am I saying? What am I saying? Don't, don't fast forward it. At least you listen to Eric's ad. Unless you've heard his ad before and don't have a need for his services, then you can fast forward it. Otherwise, listen to the ad. Sorry, Eric. <laughs> Okay, now most of you guys know that I'm very picky regarding which sponsors I take. If I don't believe in the product or service being offered, I don't take the ad. And that's why I lose money on the site every month, even though I'm a cheap Jew, and it kills me to send out that money every month knowing that it is not coming back in. But I'm really, really excited about this new Poker Fraud Alert sponsor because I feel he's providing a service to the poker community that they really, really need. Eric Bensamokin is an attorney and a longtime poker player who provides arbitration and mediation for poker and gambling-related disputes. Now, simply put, if someone owes you money, or if they think you owe them money, he's a fully impartial third party you can trust to listen, understand, and decide who's right. The reason you can trust him is because Eric is a licensed attorney in the state of California and federally, and he's able to arbitrate and mediate for you no matter where you live. So you don't have to be in California, you can be anywhere, and he can arbitrate or mediate for you. What makes Eric perfect for this is the fact that he's an attorney bound by the rules and ethics of the state bar. And he's also a longtime poker player, so he understands the issues of our community. And at the same time, he's an outsider, and he's probably not likely to know anybody connected to your dispute. So you're not going to have to worry that he's friends with a guy that you're disputing with, or even friends of a friend. He's really an outsider to the community who plays poker for fun, but knows the community really well. It's perfect, and he's a licensed attorney. You can't do better than that. This means you will get a completely impartial decision from a qualified attorney who understands everything. 
And I'll be honest, if I had a poker-related money dispute with someone, Eric is the exact type of arbitrator or mediator that I would be looking for. Take down his email address, eric at eblawfirm.us. That's eric at eblawfirm.us. If you feel you're being scammed or if someone owes you money or if someone's accusing you of owing them money, just send Eric an email. It's not going to cost you anything. It's not going to hurt you. Just send him an email, and he'll tell you what he thinks of the whole situation, and then he can go from there. Eric can perform both arbitration, where he decides who's right, and mediation, where he helps both of you figure out your own agreement. Keep the email address around, even if you don't have a dispute at the moment, because you never know when one will come up, and Eric is exactly the man you need for the job. That's eric at eblawfirm.us. That's attorney Eric Benzamokin, eric at eblawfirm.us. Is that good timing or what? I just came back in the room. So, yeah, I don't know why I said that before I fast-forward the ad. That's kind of defeats the purpose of playing it. Um, really, if you need arbitration or mediation, you should go to Eric. And uh, I've gotten to know him since he started listening to the show and made contact with me. And I've hung out with him a few times. He went over to his house and a uh, very nice guy. And, and very knowledgeable about uh, legal matters. So uh, if you have any need for anything like that or any other kind of case that uh, you think he could help you with, and uh, I, I definitely recommend him, eric at eblawfirm.us. Big fan of this show, listens to every single episode, and... Uh, he likes the long shows. He, he told me that the first time that he found the show, he couldn't believe it. It was like eight hours. He goes, oh, my God, how am I going to listen to this? And then he listened like over four sessions of listening. And he said, you know what? I actually like this. I like that it's so long. So some people, they, they hate the long shows and other people love them. Like if, if I had a 16-hour show, there'd be some people who'd be ecstatic. There's some people who just like have a need to have a lot of time running with something something to listen to. Others just want everything to be done pretty quickly. They only have like an hour to devote to it. And that's at least why I put the timestamps on the show, where if you don't have the hours it takes to listen to this, you can skip around and go to the topics you care about. So let's, let's start the, the topic about the listener question. This was actually posted on the forum, but I know the guy who posted to listen to the show. So I want to talk about it on here because it's something, something exactly like this won't happen to you, but something along these lines probably will at some point, especially if uh, you go to casino restaurants. And it brought up a good discussion about what one can expect when something bad happens at one of these restaurants. This is the story. The guy wrote, I just got back from MGM Springfield. Ordered a salmon and veggies plate when I got there with some poker comps and found this sharp piece of metal wire in my food. Even put it into my mouth, but quickly noticed because it was big. So then he posted a picture of this and it, it, uh, it is a metal wire that's kind of tied up 
Uh, it, it's a bendable wire. It's tied in a knot to where it's a circle, but it's got a sharp edge sticking out of it. How big is it? It looks like it's about the size of, uh, looks like you could fit maybe two or three fingers in that round hole that, that they made. It's like a circle where it's tied up to make the circle. I'm estimating this from the napkin he has next to it. Kind of looks like that. Maybe fit in two fingers, three fingers. It's kind of hard to tell because it's a close-up, but it's something pretty damn large to be in your food, but not so large that that you'd obviously see it. So if it's buried inside the salmon, I could see how you would, uh, especially if you're not looking for this type of thing, you just take a bite, put it in your mouth, and you feel something scratching your mouth. That's what happened to the guy. Pretty shocking, right, to find something like that in your food. It's one thing to find a hair or or a piece of dirt or, or, or you know, an eggshell or something like that that shouldn't be there. But to find a big metal wire is, is pretty obnoxious. So it scratched his mouth, took it out of his mouth. Uh, he said, I showed it to the manager. They take it to the back and come back and offer my comp back. Remember, he's paying for this meal with a poker comp. Doesn't, don't, don't, I don't know how much the meal is, but he's by himself and just ordering salmon and veggies. So how much is he paying? 20 bucks or something? They gave him his comp back plus $15. He says, I'm like, okay, yeah, whatever. I'm going to take that wire back. Meaning I, I want to take this wire to show people. The guy, meaning the manager, says, sorry, I can't do that. And literally pulls it away from me as I try to grab it, as I try to grab it. I filed a complaint with guest services and they offered me another $15 comp. <laughs> so, so I guess they gave him not even a real $15. I guess they gave him his poker comp back. So the, po- the comp he was going to use there, he didn't have to use. And then they gave him a $15 comp for the future. He went to guest services saying, what the hell? You know, first, there's a big wire in there that I end up accidentally you know, putting in my mouth because it's inside the food. It scratches my mouth. I pull it out. And then the manager actually grabs it from me and won't give it back. And guest services is like, oh, okay. Yeah, that's pretty bad. So, uh, yeah, you're right. $15 for that wasn't enough. Here's another $15. <laughs> Come on. Come on. So he writes, anyway, do I have a grounds for a lawsuit here? I have pics and audio of them offering me compensation and refusing to return the object. I probably should have cut my mouth with it intentionally, but I didn't pull the trigger. Considering I didn't hurt myself, and now they have the evidence, I am assuming I'm SOL. Any lawyers have any thoughts on this? Speaking of Eric Benzamo, it would be nice if we had him here. Anyway, uh, I'm going to give you my thoughts on this. Not as a lawyer, but as a Jew who often comments on customer service type issues. Now, prior to my response to the guy, he posted this in the forum. He posted this in the forum yesterday at like 7.45 p.m. I didn't find it for about five hours. I was busy putting together this damn server for you guys. And by the time I had found it, there were a number of responses to him some of which, in fact, I'd say the majority were telling him he just screwed. That he should just take the $15 and be done with it. And there's some even saying that's all he deserves. I disagree. So, 
first of all, when you're looking for some kind of compensation from something like this, it doesn't have to be about a wire in your mouth. It could be anything. It, it, anything wrong that happens at a restaurant, especially one associated with a casino. The reason that being associated with a casino is more important is because it's it's sometimes easier to get comps that way because there are comps involved at a casino. So it's it's a lot harder to get something from a restaurant in cash, for example, or even of a promise of food, free food credit in the future than it is to uh, get a casino comp. Casino comps are handed out fairly easily. So... For example, let's say something happened at a restaurant to me, just a regular restaurant, not a casino one, that I felt was worth $200. They would be very tough to have them either hand me $200 cash or had me, you know, put me down in their book that I can order $200 of food for free. It's, I, I've never done that in my life. I've never successfully done that or even tried to do that because it's, you're just going to get the answer no. You're going to get the answer of no. If you don't like it, sue us. I have gotten put in their book before, they meaning any restaurant that I've had a problem. I've you know, been in there for $25, $50 at most, but but usually not more than that. Uh, but casinos are different because they issue comps all the time. They're used to issuing comps. So that figures into this. But he's also mentioning a possible lawsuit. So you've got to think before you even approach this, number one, was I in the right or not? Is this just something where I can exploit it for money or, or was I really in the right and they really screw me in some way? Uh, number two, if someone gets in trouble for me taking this pretty far, do they deserve it? And that, that, you, you, that's not the entire thing. Sometimes people inevitably get in trouble when you have to have something made right that was wrong. But, but, uh, I have to say that it has influenced me before. When, I, when I'm when i dealing with a nice and helpful person who just makes an honest mistake, sometimes I will let it go because I don't want them getting in trouble. If I'm dealing with someone who's a jerk, who mistreats me, or who denies there's a problem, who argues with me, is rude or nasty to me, then I'm happy to make a complaint and see them get in trouble. So you have to consider that too. That shouldn't be the main reason you complain usually. It can be too, but uh, uh, that's something you should consider. Um, you should definitely consider it if you're really not in the right. If you're not in the right, you shouldn't make the complaint at all. You shouldn't try to angle for free things. Just don't do it. it save your complaints for when things really happen that are wrong. Which, by the way, I agree this was wrong. I agree he got that this should not have happened. This was beyond just the typical something gets in your food situation at restaurants. This was pretty bad, a, a big wire like that with a sharp edge. And then the the way the manager treated him. So you have to consider that. And you also have to consider, what am I looking for? What is my goal here? I mean, yeah, it'd be great if they gave him a million dollars compensation. It'd be great if if he said, hey, this is really disturbing that I ended up with this wire in my mouth and it scratched me. Uh, what can you give me? And, and then the manager says, one million dollars. But that's not going to happen. So what realistically... At most, do you think you could expect to get from this? You need to ask yourself. And then decide, one, is it worth your time and trouble? And two, what way do you go about it? And a lot of times people make mistakes in the way they go about things. For example, if, if you're looking for a, a $30 credit for the future, you don't start talking about lawyers. 
especially to a big company like uh, a casino. You, you don't ever bring up lawyers or lawsuits because they're going to clam up and refer you to their lawyer, and then you're going to get nothing. If your goal is just some kind of smallish kind of customer service credit or comp, then uh, you don't bring up lawsuits. You just can completely keep that out of your mouth. So you've got to think about how much you're, you're looking to get. But if you're looking for like four figures, they're not going to just hand you that out of your register. Then, then you may want to mention a lawsuit because it's very unusual to just get that type of money just handed to you from a mistake they made, even if it's totally their fault. Often you will be referred to their insurance company, especially if it's a large company. So you've got to keep all that in mind of what you're going to ask for and how much hassle you will have to go through to get it at whatever level you're asking for. You're asking for thousands, you're probably going to have to uh, deal with lawyers. You're asking for hundreds, uh, you probably deal with their insurance company. You're asking for less than 100, they'll, they'll probably handle it internally. That's the general rule of thumb. Now, they offered him $30 comp total and, and also gave him a free meal there. At first it was 15 but he complained again, he got another 15 This sounds like it was a comp, though, not a uh, cash. So does he have a right to be pissed? Was he undercompensated for what happened? After all, he didn't seem to have suffered an injury from this. He said he wished he kind of, he kind of wished he was to scratch his mouth intentionally to maybe get more. But he couldn't bring himself to do it. So he didn't get hurt. But there was a wire that ended up in his mouth, a sharp wire that ended up in his mouth that shouldn't have been there. That was their fault. And the manager confiscated it from him, wouldn't give it back, and actually held it away from him physically. Like, snatched it and held it away from him physically so he couldn't grab it back. I feel this does deserve more than $30 in comps and a free meal. Why? Well, two reasons. Two things happened here. First of all, this wasn't like a hair in his food. When you order a dish and there's a hair in it, uh, you either just kind of accept that this happens. Like a hair is not as gross as it seems on the surface. You don't want it there, but it's not. It hasn't really contaminated the whole meal as badly as you think it has. You really can just take the hair off and keep eating, or cut the portion off where the hair was and just eat the rest of it. It's also perfectly perfectly reasonable to mention the hair and have them replace it. Uh, if you want something off the meal after they replace it for your hassle and, and grossed outness of having to wait for it to be replaced. You know, If you want something off for that that's reasonable to hope for, uh, can you expect the entire meal to be comped? No. Do they offer, do they owe you further comps or money after that because there's a hair in your meal? No. But this is different. This is a sharp metal object. A large sharp metal object that's just large enough to kind of get by you when you're eating but big enough to really cause some damage, especially if he swallowed it. Imagine, you, you can see the thread on Poker Fraud Alert, if you want to take a look at the object, it's called What's My Play by a guy named Legalized Meth. <laughs> I, I hope the screen name is not serious. But uh, that's the one who started the thread. It's called What's My Play, and you can see the picture of the object. So what if he swallowed it? This could have been very damaging. This could have really caused a lot of damage. It's fortunate he noticed it in his mouth and felt something poking him and reached in his mouth and pulled it out. 
But this is a pretty bad thing to have in the salmon. This is not your typical thing found in the food. And it ended up in his mouth. If he just found it there, that's a different story. If he found it, like, oh my god, look what's in the salmon. Then they just replace the salmon, maybe comp the meal, and that's it, honestly. But since he ended up with it in his mouth, and they believe that, there's no question about that, apparently. They believe he did end up with it in his mouth. They didn't inspect his mouth and could see if it's scratched or not scratched. They know he wasn't, like, bleeding or massively injured, but, but you know, he could say he got his mouth scratched. They don't know the difference. So, given all that, I think they were too cheap with the comps. I think they're not giving him enough there. Plus, the manager acted very inappropriately. He should absolutely positively be able to keep that. Why should they keep it? So they can throw it away? So they can cover it up? What could possibly be the justification for them to keep the object? You might say, well, maybe they can show the kitchen. Well, okay, well, walk him back to the kitchen and show it. Or say, okay, we want to show the kitchen. We promise we'll bring it back. And then bring it back. But for them to say, no, you can't have it. No, we're keeping it. No, you gave it to us to inspect it. Now it's ours. Ha, ha, ha. I mean, what the hell is this? What possible justification do they have to keep this object that ended up in his food that ended up in his mouth? They're trying to cover it up. So my belief about this situation is that he was dealing with a manager who wanted to basically cover up the whole thing and and not have his boss find out about it. So the manager took the object. So this way, if he does complain, then the the manager can claim back that it wasn't as big as as, uh, legalized meth is saying it was. And by giving a small comp like $15, that's something he can give out easily without anyone questioning it. Like if he gave a comp for $200, then the the higher ups may say, hey, wait a minute, why did you give this customer a $200 comp? Then he has to explain. Give 15 bucks, you can give that for any reason. He's, I'm sure, fully authorized to give something like that without any anyone scrutinizing it. So basically, he didn't want his higher ups finding out about it. I don't know this for sure, but this is my assumption from, from everything I'm reading here. But keeping that object and steadfastly refusing and actually snatching it and then backing away and moving your hand away so he can't grab it back is really obnoxious, and that really, really smacks of a cover-up and is highly inappropriate and disrespectful to a customer who just had the somewhat traumatizing situation of a sharp object in their mouth that was in their salmon they ordered. I can tell you in my many, many years of dining out, I've never had a sharp object in my mouth of that size that was in any of the food I've ever eaten. That's something he'll probably never have again in his life. I bet you, the listener, I bet you've never had something like that in your food. So this is unique in two ways. The the item that was there and its size, and then the way the manager handled it with grabbing the object and, and refusing to return it to him and actually physically holding it away from him. So you have a mishandling and general rudeness by the manager, plus the pretty bad object in there that ended up in his mouth. So that's worth more than 30 bucks. Now, to give you guys a reference, I will tell you about an altercation I had two years ago 
in a restaurant in Lake Tahoe. In fact, I'll tell you which one it was. It was Cabo Wabo in uh, Harvey's Lake Tahoe, which is a, a Caesar's property. And I'll tell you what I got. I may have told this story before, but uh, I'll tell it again. This was uh, two years ago. It was in January 2017. Uh, I won't go into the very long version of the story, but the quick cliff notes in the story was that I went to Cabo Wabo and I asked, can I use my reward credits here to pay for the meal? I hadn't eaten yet. I hadn't sat down yet. I just asked the hostess, can I use the reward credits for the meal? Some places say yes, some say no. They said yes. So I said, okay, well, are they redeemed at one-to-one or two-to-one? What that means is uh, reward credits are usually worth one cent each, but at some restaurants, they're only worth a half a cent each, which makes it not worth using them because you're only getting half value. So I wasn't that excited about eating a Cabo Wabo, so my attitude was, look, if this is going to cost me double, I'll just go eat somewhere else on property and pay with reward credits and get full value. I'm not going to uh, use half-value half reward credits just because I'm happening to eat here. So it was a pretty important answer I needed to find out. So the hostess didn't know. She said, let me sit Let me sit you and you can ask your server. So my plan was to ask the server. If the answer was uh, it's two to one, then I was going to say, sorry, I can't eat here and leave. That was my plan. I sat down. The server came, asked her. Uh, she was very confused. She had no idea what I was talking about. <laughs> so she was nice, but she very confused. I said, can you get the manager, please? She said, okay. I even clarified to her. I said, hey, I'm not... I don't want I'm not going to complain about you. I just want to, I just want an answer to the question. She said, "Oh no, I understand. I'll get you the manager." The manager came out. It was a girl late like late 20s, pretty uh pretty white girl, very very bitchy from the start. Didn't want to answer the question, didn't know the answer, and didn't want to acknowledge that I needed to know the answer, so she just started making up things and uh, giving nonsensical responses. And then, you know, when when I couldn't nail her down on what the answer really was, and she conceded she wasn't sure. I said, okay, well, um, can, can we at least make a deal that, uh, if I use them and it turns out that it's two to one instead of one to one, that you only charge me half price for the meal. So it comes out the same. Oh, no, I can't do that. She says to me, I said, well, well, look, either tell me what it is, either find out for sure what it is and, and make that guarantee to me that that's what I'm going to pay or adjust it later. Nope, can't do that. She says, so I'm just finding this insane that, that I can't find out whether it's going to be one-to-one or two-to-one because this is something every restaurant needs to know at Caesars. Every single Caesars restaurant, the restaurant itself needs to know, to know this. I've been dining at their properties for five years at that point. I, I knew their rules. So she didn't know. She was too lazy to look it up and was just trying to put the onus on me to gamble with my reward credits, whether it charges me one-to-one or two-to-one. <laughs> so anyway... um so I said, look, uh, to be honest, I'm kind of surprised the man, even the manager doesn't know this. This is something that everybody's supposed to know here. So, um, you know, can you please go look this up for me and let me know? And she was really insulted by that because I used the magic words of, I'm surprised the manager doesn't know this. So up till this point, we were just speaking in a normal tone of voice. I wasn't yelling. She wasn't yelling. We were just, you know, discussing back and forth. Before walking away, she raised her voice and said, and I'd appreciate it if you don't tell me how to manage and stormed off. But she said it in a way to where it looked like I, the big ogre middle-aged guy, made the poor pretty girl upset because I was a jerk. 
and told her how to manage. And she walked away looking upset. And I looked around and everybody in the whole damn restaurant, I guess I'm not giving Cliff, Cliff notes. I guess I'm giving you the long version. Anyway, everyone in the restaurant was staring at me and looking at me like I was the biggest asshole in the world. And I'm just thinking, fuck, I just want to know how much this meal is going to cost me in rewards credits. Why shouldn't I be able to find this out? Like, that's all I wanted to know. Why am I the jerk here? And it's not like she said, let me go check on this, and I was getting impatient. I wanted her to check on this, and she wouldn't. She's like, eh, just, just try it and see what it happens. If it's double, oh, well, tough luck on you. Like, no, that's not the answer. So so anyway, um, at this point, obviously, I didn't feel comfortable eating there. I didn't feel like I could count on that someone wasn't going to spit or do worse to my food. So I stood up and left. Um, I went. I, I happened to walk by Total Rewards, so I went to Total Rewards and said, "Hey, do you guys happen to know the answer to this question?" They said, "Oh yeah, it's one to one down there. How could they not know this? It's a Caesar's own proper. It's a Caesar's own restaurant. Every Caesar's own restaurant is always one to one. That's the rule. That's the way that works. And how could they not know that? And how could the manager not know that? We're shocked." And I said, "You guys sure?" They said, "100 percent sure." So I'm like, I'm "Like, and you're sure every employee is supposed to know?" They said, "Yep." Every employee is supposed to know this. We're, we're pretty surprised that no one could give you that answer, especially the manager. So I went back down just to give the manager a piece of my mind for both, you know, giving that attitude and second yelling at me and making me uh, embarrassed there. So she wouldn't come out. Finally, she came out and, and, uh, because I threatened if she doesn't come out, I'm going to report it. I'm going to report her to her manager that she's refusing to talk to me. Anyway, she came out and, uh, Told and uh, still wouldn't back down. Still said that she doesn't have to know this. Um, and then I said, "Well, why did you speak to me that way?" And she said, uh, "Because I was being rude to her and I deserved it." And then she told me that uh, she's calling security on me. And I said, "Security? I haven't done anything." I said, "I'm not. I just came down here to ask you your manager's name and also to tell you what I found out from Total Rewards." And that you were wrong. But uh, I'm not causing a disturbance and I'm going to leave now. And I've never been threatening or, uh, or or caused any disturbance. I said, the one who yelled here was you. Why are you calling security on me? So uh, anyway, I left. And again, the eyeballs were all on me. It was very embarrassing. Again, I looked like the jerk. We were on the second conversation. We were. I was standing, so she here's this like you know five foot two, twenties pretty girl standing next to this tall middle aged guy. And of course, you know, who's who's going to look like the villain here? And I could tell that's the way everyone was thinking. They didn't hear the content of the conversation. They just heard her that it sounds like I'm telling her how to manage. The bossy middle aged guy is telling the young girl how to do her job. What a jerk, huh? So I found the food and beverage manager. First, I tried to call her the general manager. The general manager was out sick. So they – I had left a message for the general manager about what happened. So they started an investigation on, the, on what happened without my knowledge. And then the food and beverage manager, who was the highest ranked person in the Tahoe market for Caesars as far as the restaurants are concerned. He's the, he's the boss of all the restaurants there. He called me, and he told me that I was 100% in the right, that he that he listened to my story. And he said, you know, you know, combining your story with what I already heard from her and from the other employees there, 
let me tell you that, number one, everything you said checked out. Number two, you were 100% in the right. Yes, every employee is supposed to know this. If they didn't know it, they were supposed to find a way to make it right for you, especially you being a seven-stars guest. But even if you weren't, they if they don't know, they need to give you the benefit of the doubt and, and charge one-to-one. Also, I, meaning him, he was on property when all this happened. And he said as soon as there was a question about this, they should have called him. And for some reason, they didn't, probably because they were embarrassed. They didn't know and they didn't want to get in trouble. Also, they were all always told never to yell at guests or, or mistreat guests like that. And that was totally unacceptable. And there is a very strict rule there that any time there is an altercation with a guest, that they are to immediately report it to him, and she did not. And he said, I'm very upset that I had to find out about this situation from you, that she didn't tell me herself. And he said that she was the assistant manager, that she was only managing because that other manager was out sick, and that she is clearly not up to the job, which she wasn't. So she tried to cover it. Basically, she didn't know what she was supposed to know, and she resented me for wanting to know this important information, and she mistreated me and was nasty to me because I wasn't accepting her nonsense answers. It was one of these things she knows she's, she knows she's supposed to know, what she knows she doesn't, and gets mad at me because I need the information and mistreats me because of that. So he said I was 100% right with everything. She committed five different violations of the rules there and that, that he's holding an all-hands meeting over this. And he wasn't BSing me. I could tell the guy was 100% sincere. He's holding an all-hands meeting with all the uh, employees of that restaurant to go over all of these things and is going to be taking care of matters with her. I don't know if he's fired her or if he demoted her, but whatever it is, at the very least, she wasn't going to be the assistant manager anymore. So I didn't ask for anything. At this point, I just wanted to see her get in trouble, to be honest. I wanted him to know this happened, and then I wanted her to get in trouble for how I was mistreated there and yelled at. But um, I thought he might offer me compensation, but that wasn't I wasn't really trying for compensation. But he offered at the end of this whole thing a $100 food credit that I could use anywhere, either at Harris or Harvey's. And I thanked him, and I accepted it, and I used it. Didn't go back there. But uh, I went to another restaurant there and used the $100, and uh, that was that. I felt that was fair. If he offered me 50 would that have been okay? Yeah. I was hoping he'd offer me something because, you know, he verified everything I said. He asked other employees. He really did a good job looking into it and saw that uh, my version of the story was 100% correct and not embellished at all. And that, uh, you know, according to the real story of what happened, that they, they screwed up big time and were nasty to me needlessly. And violated many rules. So, uh, you know, I, I would have thought that offering me something for that once that was all verified was right. I wasn't going to ask because that wasn't my main goal. But $100, I thought, was uh, kind of ranging between fair and overly generous. Not super overly generous, but not um, – I, I would have accepted 50 and not been, like, frustrated. If he offered 25 I would have thought that was cheap. 50 I would have thought was, you know, okay. 100 I thought was very good. So props to him there and props to him for really looking into it and getting down to the truth. Why am I telling you guys this two-year-old story? Well, because it has some similarities to legalized meth story. Now, I didn't swallow anything. In fact, I didn't even eat there. I walked away. But we both had a situation where a manager was rude at a casino restaurant 
and then the manager attempted to cover up what they did. In my situation, I got $100. Not in cash, but in food credit. But his was worse. Because he actually had a metal object in his mouth. I did not. I had the rude manager. I didn't have anything in my mouth. So, if I got $100 out of that, then he should get at least 100 If I were the one making the decision at MGM Springfield, provided I believed his story, I would give him a $200 food credit, provided he agrees to drop the matter. I may even have him sign something that he's not going to sue us and he's going to drop the matter. As far as a lawsuit is concerned, I don't think he should proceed that way because he would have to show damages. And he'd also have to explain why he hasn't seeked medical attention yet. Even if he goes now, it's a little bit after the fact. So how does he explain that? If he were to seek the medical attention, the doctor would not see any cuts in his mouth. So there'd be that problem too. So he'd have a hard time showing damages here other than, I guess, emotional distress. So I wouldn't go the lawsuit route. I also wouldn't go the insurance route because insurance, before they make a payment, will always also want to see damages. Now, once they see them, provided the damages are believable, they usually just pay out at that point. They don't fight you as much. But they want to see, they want proof that there was some kind of damage. I hate to delve into these personal stories here, but this one, I promise, will be short. But at a parking place where I left my car when I took a trip, uh, someone either took a small joyride in my car or I think more likely just kind of drove my car to the corner of the lot and then partied in there, maybe smoked pot. The seat was leaned all the way back like someone was lying down and the station was changed to a hip-hop station. So someone had a little party in my car there and the, the seat – like it was clear that someone didn't just drive it and park it. It was used recreationally while I was gone. I was pissed. So I paid $120 to park there for like, I don't know, 10 days or something. So what I wanted was for them to just give me that money back that I had paid to park there and be done. They wanted to give it to insurance. And I kept saying, I don't want it to be given to insurance because I can't show damages. I'm pissed. I didn't get the service I was asking for, but I cannot show damages. Nobody damaged anything in my car. It's just very frustrating. And this is very poor service. And this is obnoxious that this happened here. And I would think that you'd give me the money back for this particular parking thing so where you don't get money from me and I don't get money from you. We just walk away and pretend like I wasn't here. But they kept directing me to insurance because that's what they always do at parking places when you claim there's some problem. Oh, there's, you know, my, my fender got dinged. Okay, well, take it up with our insurance company. That's like always their default response. So I had to keep beating into their head that the insurance company will deny me because I had no damages. And that's what will happen here to legalize meth if he goes to their insurance company because he has no damages. So I think anything that comes from them probably would have to be a customer service type credit. And these are the things you've got to keep in mind here. If you're going to go to insurance, there's got to be damages. If you're going to have a lawsuit, um, 
there you can try to claim some emotional distress, but it, usually you, you want damages too, of some sort. Otherwise, you're not going to win anything. If you want them to give you a customer service credit of some kind, then it can just be for your inconvenience or for being grossed out or being mistreated. That's, that's when you can use those justifications to get paid. Insurance is never going to pay you because the manager mistreated you or because you were grossed out or because it was unpleasant to have a wire in your mouth. And I'm not, I'm not trying to diminish this. I, I would be really pissed if this happened to me too. So... This is my advice to him, is that he should find the food and beverage manager, just like I did. And that he should just be honest about what happened, be polite, act really shocked at the way this went down. Don't overcomplicate the story. Don't make it a long story, which takes 30 minutes to tell, or the guy is not is going to tune you out. Stick to the important points. The two important points are, number, number one, you got this large metal wire in your mouth which scratched your mouth. And, 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 you know, didn't cause the major injury, but it's very, very disturbing. And, and number two, something like this could be in the food with them, without them catching it. And, and number two, that the manager tried to cover it up by, by taking the object from you and refusing to give it back. And you're appalled by this and, and shocked. And you think that, uh, the guy was trying to make it seem like this never happened. And that, uh, and also state you were insulted by the $15 they offered almost like it was an insult payment just to mock you. Say something like, I felt like that's the equivalent of them offering me a penny. You should also throw something in like, I'm not trying to get rich off this. I was just hoping for something fair after what happened to me. It's always good to throw that in when you have customer service disputes because there are unscrupulous customers out there, like bad guy, (laughs) who try to get compensation over things that either never happened or were greatly exaggerated. Restaurants deal with us all the time. Businesses of other kinds deal with us all the time. The customer who lies to them or greatly exaggerates to try to get free things. So you have to separate yourself from those type of people. You need to say, I'm not trying to get rich. I'm not, I'm not reporting this to you so I can, uh, get all kinds of free things. I just want something that's fair and right. If you, Use language like that, then it separates you. Then you look like a, a customer who just got screwed in some way, who just wants to be treated fairly. Not a pushover, not like someone who just lets themselves get walked on and doesn't ask for anything back, but someone who doesn't have unrealistic expectations and also is not making anything up. It's also worth throwing in, you know, check with the other employees around. Um, I took a picture of the object. I'll be happy to show you. If you have any cameras, I'd like you to check. I want all the facts to come out. I'm telling you the complete truth here. Always throw things in like that because that makes you seem like you're being honest. Why? Because you are being honest. And so you want them to know you're being honest. You want them to know that you want the facts to be known and that they are the ones trying to cover it up. Don't ever mention lawyers or lawsuits unless you are planning to really go that route. Otherwise, they'll clam up and not talk to you anymore. Let them throw out a number as to what they think they will give you. Let's go back to the Tahoe thing that happened to me. If the guy asked me, what do you think you should get in this situation? I probably would have said $50 in food credit. That's probably what I would have thrown out there. I would have thought 100 sounded too high. I would have thought 25 sounded too low. I would have thrown out 50. And he probably would have said, okay, here's your 50. And I would have been happy. But uh, it turned out the guy gave me 100. Why? Because I let him throw out the number. 
fact, I didn't even ask a number. I was figuring that maybe he'd just offer it. If he didn't offer it by the end of the call, I probably would have asked. But uh, but he offered it first. So it's kind of a game of chicken. Just let, just let them throw out the number. If the number's too low, then you can ask for more. If it's higher than you were expecting, then you can be happy and take that number. If you're planning upon eating at MGM Springfield again, then... You know, just just take it in form of a of a food credit. If not, see if the casino can give you a comp. But uh, probably insurance or a lawsuit is not really going to work here. Now, had it scratched your mouth and you had bleeding, that'd be a different story. Then then a lawsuit uh, could be in order. I'm not a personal injury attorney, so I won't start to go into that whole thing because I'm not an expert on that. I know more than the average person, but not enough to give you guys advice here in a general situation such as that. But the problem is he has no real injury he can show. But still deserves something. And I always feel the customer deserves more when the customer has to go through dealing with rude employees or people trying to cover it up. If there's just an honest mistake, which this was, they, they didn't try to put a wire in his food. I mean, it just, I'm sure it just, I don't know how it ended up there, but somehow a wire fell in. It looked like it was used to tie something. I don't know. I think something was used to tie, maybe tie up chicken. I don't know. Maybe it fell off. Maybe on the grill and ended up in the salmon. Who knows? But clearly an accident that ended up in there. It was negligence. It, it shouldn't have happened. It was too big for them not to notice while cooking. They, they had to be careful. But it was an accident, but the manager snatching it from him was not an accident. So whenever I see a cover-up, nastiness, uh, arguments, anything like that, when something like that occurs, that's when I'm really motivated to want to do something more and get more. And if some heads roll over it, tough luck. I hate when something bad happens at a business to me and then they try to cover it up. That pisses me off to no end and if it happens to you, it should piss you off to no end. So this looks like a cover-up to me. The manager is a complete dick and uh, there needs to be some answering for that. So you always just have to Think of your goal in these situations. Think of what's appropriate. Think of what they're willing to offer, most likely. Think about what really happened and how bad it really was. Think about all angles. And then when you do complain, when you do ask for something, just stick to the facts, be concise, be clear, and make it very obvious to them that you're not just trying to squeeze out of this, out of them what you can or exaggerating that you're just, you're just the guy who got screwed and is looking to uh, be treated fairly. And they'll have a lot more respect for you and treat you with more respect and give you uh, a better outcome. All right, I'm going to give you an update on a listener, or not a listener, a, a person we interviewed before on this show. It was last year. So... Last year, we had, it was on January 24th, actually. I I see the description of the show. January 24th, this is the way it's described. 
It says, uh, interview with Kristen, a new PFA radio character. Hmm, I expected it to be more. <laughs> that was pretty uh, bad description on my part. I guess I was tired that night when it was over. But anyway, Kristen insisted that she... Well, let me, I'm, I'm, I'm jumping around here. I'm sorry. Kind of distracted here. Let me start this over. Kristen contacted me on Facebook after reading an article by Calvin Ayer about Scott Tom uh, making a deal to uh, avoid jail time. Basically, he came to the U.S. and made a plea bargain where he avoided jail time. Scott Tom was the CEO of Absolute Poker and the main cheater from Absolute Poker. So Calvin Ayer, I think the article was on his site and then Calvin himself made a comment at the bottom through Calvin's Facebook account congratulating Scott Tom for beating the government and that he was persecuted, blah, blah, blah. And I was I was pissed to read this because Scott Tom was a cheater. He shouldn't be getting congratulated for anything. He's a cheater and a thief. So I, I made that clear and, and told Calvin he didn't know what he was talking about. Well... This girl, Kristen from Idaho, found this. She was not a poker player or any kind of gambler, but she knew Brent Beckley, who was another one of the Absolute Poker cheaters, and he also was busted for payment processing for Absolute Poker and actually spent some time in jail over it. So Brent Beckley was someone who went to high school, I think, with Kristen. So he was, she was just looking him up and found that article about him and then found the other article about Scott Tom and then saw my comment and Kristen kind of liked uh she she kind of liked my attitude in my comment she just she just thought oh this guy seems pretty cool the way i was calling out calvin for the way he was defending scott tom she knew nothing of the story but just from the way i described it she thought oh this guy seems pretty cool so she added me on facebook and i don't just accept anyone's ads like i'll ask them why are they trying to add me so she explained it and i thought it was pretty interesting i'm like oh how do you know brett beckley and we got into a conversation kristen is a fairly attractive early 30s girl living she lives in a small town in Idaho she is a hairdresser and the thing that made her most interesting the only reason i had her on the show was because she had a husband at the time when she had a husband that was in prison for 8 years yeah Eight years for a bar fight. She said it was just a bar fight and Idaho is very conservative and they threw the book at him to make an example out of him. And I remember we were saying at the time, wow, that's a terrible sentence or eight years for a bar fight. Wow. Well, of course, there's more to the story. Uh, some of the listeners looked this up. They, we didn't say her full name, but they, some of them figured it out somehow. And some people looked up the case and found that her husband seemed pretty damn dangerous and did some pretty bad things in that bar fight. He flipped out for unknown reasons, started attacking people with a pool cue, just smacking them with a pool cue really hard. So you can imagine that uh, can cause some damage. So people were really panicking in that bar going, oh my God, this guy's just going nuts and swatting people with with a pool cue. So a waitress there grabbed her cell phone and ran out of the bar to go call 911. Well, he figured that out, that that's what she was doing. 
So he ran out of the bar with the pool cue and started hitting her with the pool cue just because she's trying to call 911. So he beat a woman with a pool cue after already beating other men in the bar with a pool cue because she was trying to call 911. Needless to say, between that and I think he had some priors, uh, he went away for eight years, and that was appropriate in my opinion. We didn't know that when we had her on the show. We found that out later. But I had added her to Facebook, so I was kind of quietly watching her updates over the past year. Not like a creepy stalker, but, you know, it popped up on my feed and I'd see the progress in her life. Now, her story was that she had known him before, I think from high school or something. So she either visited him in jail or wrote to him. I forgot what it was, but they they developed their relationship while he was in jail. And got married while he was in jail, and she would actually go there, and they'd have their conjugal visits where they'd have sex. And uh, she had never been with him when he wasn't in jail. But while it was an eight-year sentence, their relationship and their marriage hadn't been nearly that long ago. So it was a year and a half from the point last year when we had her on that he was going to get out of prison – and then they were going to go be together and live happily ever after. She has a kid, by the way, from another man. But um, that's uh, – I just wanted to mention that as well. It doesn't really figure into the story. So everybody in the chat was curious about the same thing. And that was Kristen without a man there for all that time and for another year and a half going forward. Was she going to stay faithful to this jailbird or was she going to bang other dudes behind his back? Well, Kristen insisted on the interview that she was not messing around with any other guys, that she's been completely faithful, that she will be completely faithful, that their relationship is good despite the distance and the challenges um, and the fact that he's in jail and she can hardly see him and that uh, she thinks everything's going to be fine when he gets out and she has no problem waiting. I think she even said something that uh, you know she doesn't need sex every day. I forget all the details of the conversation. Now I'm going to try to find that. I'm going to try to jump around here. So why not? I'll try to start this show. Whoa, 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 whoa. No, I don't want to play this song here. It's slow loading because it's so big. But let's try to jump around here. Stop paying rent, and then I hired a lawyer. It's That's getting stressed out about money. Oh, there we uh, that there we he are. can't do anything to help that really, or. Um, when I when I've had a hard day and I'm tired and I just don't even want to cook dinner, like he wants to be able to do that for me and things like that. Like mm. those are the things that are hardest for him. Yeah, he's a better um, person than I it, am. I'd, I'd help you with your migraine after we had sex. <laughs> <laughs> That's Calwat there, right. So, so so it sounds like at least so far in the in the year and a half you've been married. Now, how long were you like? Did you have like a relationship before you were married? Like, how, how far does it back where you considered yourself with him? Um, I would say that we were officially dating, um, December, actually it was Christmas, so December 25th of 2015, so So we were only officially dating for like seven months before we got married. And it was the start of your dating when you checked out his package? Is that when it officially started? Um, it was after we were officially dating that I, uh, 
checked that out. Okay. Well, oh, okay. well here's, here's, here's one. I have one more question here, then we'll let you go. Um, since you have not ever physically dated him, like outside, you know, other than just seeing him in, in the prison, is it possible? Have you worried about it's possible that he will get out? And once you actually spend time together in person, that doesn't involve like a short visit with guards there, that you won't be compatible. Are you, have you ever worried that might be what will happen? Um, I was actually having a conversation kind of similar to this uh, with one of my friends the other day. Um, I consider her to be what I would call a love addict. And she's one of those people that's constantly chasing the fairy tale and the butterflies and the fireworks and all of that nonsense. Oh, she knows that and that I goes away no matter who it is, right? <laughs> Yeah. No, no, apparently not. Well, she's in and, for a big disappointment. <laughs> right. And one of the things that I was trying to explain to her, because, I mean, there's always that worry, like, what if, what if? But at the same time, um, I think that we've built a very solid relationship uh, by not having the physical stuff there and having uh, a relationship primarily around communication and um yeah, I mean, probably have a more solid story. foundation than most people have. Yeah, but, no, maybe not, Calwatt. Maybe not. That was a year ago, almost a year ago, January 24, 2018. I have an update for you guys. I have an update. I saw a disturbing message from her, not to me, but on you know, just posted to her Facebook, that if such and such name, which is the name of her husband attempts to contact you and attempts to add you to Facebook, do not accept his friend request and do not talk to him unless you don't want to be friends with me. I'm like, whoa, okay. So apparently they're not together anymore. So I'm like, hmm. Now he'd still be in jail. I believe he'd probably got like another six months. So I go, so then I, I, I read the comments and someone even asked, you know, can he even get on Facebook from where he is? And she said, no. And the person said, well, are you afraid it's like a fake account? And she said, like, no, uh, let me explain. Yeah, I'll do it privately. So she was probably worried that she, that he's having, like, friends, friend requests, uh, people she knows, friends of his, friend requests, uh, people she knows to find out the story of what's going on. So clearly she's not with him anymore. And I thought, hmm. Well, if she's not with him, is that because there's somebody else? So I went back and looked at her page more closely and found that starting, looks like mid-November, that she has a new boyfriend. She's with some uh, tall guy, looks around her age, who put that he used to be a customer service rep at bodybuilding.com. Now that's significant because... She made a transformation starting from, I'd say, probably around the summer. She went from, she was never fat, but she went from kind of just, eh, I'd say, a kind of like average weight. Just kind of looked like a, like an average weight woman in her 30s. Not fat, but not thin or fit looking. She went from that to like heavily working out to where she developed like a, bikini model slash bodybuilder type physique. She wasn't like 
super buff with bulging muscles everywhere like a bodybuilder, but she had some of that going on. It was kind of between like a bikini model and a bodybuilder, kind of right in between that, the, the, those two. So she obviously put a lot of effort into you know, what she felt was improving her looks. And I also noticed she, was, she had posted tons of pictures in her bikini and her underwear, and she was really trying to show off her body. And I'm thinking, this is kind of strange behavior from someone who is just waiting for their jailbird husband to get out. I mean, if that, why, why do all that? I mean, I guess maybe for health or maybe just as a hobby, but it just seemed to me like she's trying to work on the way she looks because she's about to enter the dating pool again. So it looks like she met someone else who's either into this same bodybuilding stuff or maybe she was posting on bodybuilding.com and met the guy this way. I, I don't know, but something having to do with her whole interest in bodybuilding and this guy being a former rep of bodybuilding.com. So they're together, tons of pictures of them together. And, you know, they're going out and doing things like a normal new boyfriend and girlfriend would be taking lots of happy pictures. And he's there with her and her kid. And, uh, apparently the jailbird husband has been left behind and he's getting out in like six months. And she's worried enough that there's like, friend requests of her friends from him or someone representing him that she's warning people not to accept it so could be some trouble coming her way a guy this violent a guy who will take a pool cue to wail on a waitress just because she's trying to call 911 can you imagine how he's going to react when he sees that his wife who married him when he was in jail and he was just about to get out and be with has now dumped him for another dude oh my goodness I would not want to be her at this point so I have a feeling that it's going to be uh, pretty tough once he's out of prison. But uh, this is one of many reasons you don't marry a guy in prison for violent crimes, especially if you're not 100% sure that you're ultimately going to stay with him until the sentence is over. So all this waiting she did was for nothing. Now, I know nothing about what happened here. Maybe I should try to like ask her if she wants to come on and give an update. Maybe I should have done that. I, should, I shouldn't just be stalking like a weirdo. I should, I should message her. I just thought of this now. Why the hell am I making conclusions? I should, I should just message her and say, hey, you want to come back on the radio and talk about what happened? I could totally see her doing that based upon her personality she had on the show a year ago. But my guess, and we'll see if I end up being right. I, I think I am going to ask her if she'll come back on. But my guess, if, if it ends up being right, is that for whatever reason she got into this uh, working out bodybuilding stuff. Maybe it wasn't even because she wanted to date. Maybe it was just out of boredom because she didn't have anything else to do besides work and take care of her kid. So maybe this is a hobby, whatever. But uh, she, so she gets into this stuff and starts uh, liking her own body more and more. Her self-esteem goes up higher and higher. She's probably getting compliments from people all over the place. And uh, then she starts to think to herself, well, crap, you know, why am I waiting for this jailbird who's been in prison for eight years for a violent crime? Like, can't I do better? You know, now I think better of myself, looks-wise. Maybe, maybe I can get a better guy now. What, what, what am I waiting for this for? So maybe she became more open to being with someone else. And then somehow she got to know this uh, other dude who worked for bodybuilding.com at some point. 
And there you go. There's your update. For all the naysayers who said she's not going to wait, you were right. You were right. Not that I doubted you. I believed the same thing as you, that she wasn't going to wait. But she almost had me sold. I almost believed it. She sounded so sincere. And it was only a year and a half more. I just kind of thought, okay, you know, she'll wait it out. And I, I just thought he was going to get out and it wasn't going to work. I thought maybe he'd even be violent when they were together and she'd have to leave him. And that's what I thought was going to happen. I didn't think really that after all this time that she was going to give up towards the end and dump him. But that is what happened. I'm sure he wasn't very happy when he got the message there in jail. <laughs> Pretty brutal. All right. From jailbird husbands to a casino jackpot. MGM National Harbor, the biggest casino in the Washington, D.C., Baltimore area, fairly new casino, has screwed a jackpot winner. Not a huge jackpot, it seems, but a jackpot at least in the thousands of dollars. And they are hiding behind claims that the law has has their hands tied and that the person is just screwed. Here's what happened. Very weird story. This is the type of thing you just never expect to have happen until it happens. A woman from the D.C. area, a 57-year-old woman named Cynthia Obi, and by the way, they're not stating her age publicly. I looked it up in my database. But uh, she's 57 years old. You'll see why this matters, the age. Won a jackpot in the thousands. She won't say how much it is, but it was something in the thousands, she said. And she's very happy. She's waiting for them to process the paperwork. For those of you that are not slot players or video poker players, you may not be aware of how these jackpots work. It it doesn't just spit out the money for you. If you win anything more than $1,200, federal requirements state that the machine has to lock up and then an attendant has to come over and manually pay you after taking your information for tax purposes. It's called a hand pay. And they take your social security number, they enter it into the system, they generate tax paperwork, you sign all that. When all that is complete, then they pay you. So that's what happened to her. She waited for them to go through that process, which usually takes 10 to 15 minutes. And instead of returning with the paperwork, well, they returned with the paperwork. They said, hang on. Uh, you know, she, she filled out something. I think she gave them her social and they went to go do the paperwork. Instead of returning with the paperwork and the money, they came back and told her, I'm sorry, but your money's been confiscated. And instead of your jackpot, you'll be receiving zero point zero. Now, what happened? Why was she getting zero? Well, they said that the state of Maryland has a law that if you owe back child support and you win a jackpot, that the state automatically confiscates it. And that's what happened, that the state has records that she owes a lot of back child support and the state automatically took the jackpot. So sorry, you get nothing. Only problem? She didn't owe back child support. She was 57 years old. Her children were all grown and none of them even near 18. And 
she had never owed child support in her life. And she kept insisting, this is insane. This is just not true. There's a mistake. Go look it up. So they said, hang on. They went back and looked and they said, oh, sorry about that. Uh, we misentered your social security number by one digit. We got one digit off and that person who actually owns that social security number owes child support. So the computer kind of took all your money. (laughs) So she said, okay, well, fix it. Go back and put the right social security number in, get the money back and give it to me. Uh, yeah, we can't do that. They told her. They explained that this is an automated system that they're required to have in place by the state of Maryland and that once the computer takes the money, that the money's gone. And she said, well, okay, how do I get it? It's not fair. They can't just take my money for back child support that's not mine. And they said, well, this is out of our hands now. Now you need to go to Maryland Gaming and file a complaint and uh, have them get back this money and give it to you. So she says, look, uh, you guys have to make this right. I just won the money. You owe me the money. It was your fault for misentering the social security number. You acknowledge that. Um, What you're describing I need to do sounds like it's very difficult and very cumbersome. Can't you just give me the money? Why why don't you just, you know, it was your mistake. Can you please just eat, eat it and just pay me the money anyway instead of making me go through this? The casino said no. So she took this to the press. Well, first she went to first she went to see if it was fairly easy to collect the money back from gaming. It wasn't. Uh, everybody at gaming didn't know what to do. They had never had this situation before because it's unusual that there that there's going to be a confiscation of the money because of a misentered social security number. It's probably the first time it ever happened there. It's not like Maryland's full of casinos, so. Uh, they didn't exactly know what to do. She got the runaround. As, as you can imagine, in a government bureaucracy, it's, it's not easy to get answers to unusual questions like this. So they couldn't even tell her what to do. Well, maybe you should contact uh, the, the the child support uh, portion of the Maryland government to see what, what they can do about it, and uh, yeah, blah blah blah. You know, see, see what they. So she was being directed everywhere else. Everywhere was passing the buck. Everywhere was telling her to go somewhere different. She, she got nowhere, so after a week of spinning her wheels, she went to the press about this, and uh, this story is now being covered in the media. So one TV station went and asked MGM National Harbor about this, and this was their statement. We are aware of this unfortunate error and have taken the necessary steps to assist Miss Ob in rectifying the issue. Due to the MLGCA rules, that's gaming, and Maryland state law, we cannot provide an additional payout for this jackpot. However, if she presents the proper identification credentials to the Maryland Gaming Commission, they will provide her with the appropriate payout. We apologize for the inconvenience this has caused Ms. Obi. Well, now I will admit I am not an expert on Maryland gaming law, but I have to call BS on this. When you read statements like this from a large company, you need to look both what they are saying and what they're not saying and also how they're saying it. You have to look at the exact words they're using. That will often reveal a lot more than the message they're actually trying to convey. So they're claiming that Maryland state law forbids them to double pay this jackpot, even if the first attempt to pay her got it 
wrongfully confiscated, that they can't pay out any jackpot twice, that the law forbids it, sorry, we're stuck. Okay, so it sounds like here that her beef should really be, I mean, yes, they made this mistake, It was they made a clerical error entering the number wrong, but once this happened, it sounds like she should be mad at the state for making it so difficult to, to reverse this, that the state should have something in place to reverse this, and I agree they should, but can we blame MGM for anything here, other than that one mistake, if they really have their hands tied by the law? Yes, we can. If you, again, listen to their statement, think about their statement. The important part says this. Due to MLGCA rules and Maryland state law, we cannot provide an additional payout for this jackpot. An additional payout for this jackpot. Why is it phrased that way? Hmm. Let's think here. Why is it phrased additional payout for this jackpot? Oh, I know the answer. Because that's true. Because Maryland state law requires them to pay out every jackpot accurately. Not a penny more, not a penny less. So if someone wins a $5,000 jackpot, they're not allowed by law to pay them 7000 nor are they allowed by law to pay them 3000 Nor are they allowed by law to pay them $4,999.99 or $5,000.01. That they have to pay to the penny the right jackpot. And that is Maryland law. But, hold on a second. Does Maryland law forbid MGM National Harbor from making any other kind of payment to her? That is, any payment that is not labeled a jackpot payout. So could MGM National Harbor simply give her a payout for emotional distress? Or perhaps could they give her free play as a casino promotion? Or perhaps could they give her a payout for a customer loyalty credit? I believe they could. In fact, I'm sure they can. So why aren't they? Well... As far as the casino sees it, they've done all they have to do by state law, and that is direct her to go to the Maryland Gaming and have them fix it and get the money back. Because the money will come back to her after enough effort if she gets the right department and fills out the right paperwork and waits the amount of time that she has to wait, which all shouldn't be necessary because it wasn't her mistake. It can be recovered after a lot of effort and perhaps expense and time and trouble. So MGM says, well, we screwed up, but she can spend hours and hours and a lot of frustration to get it back. She can get it back. That's all we're required to do. That's all we're going to do. F you. Now, they did give her a whopping $200 in free play for her trouble, but that's a joke. But what that also says is that, yes, they can give her things. If they're not allowed to give her additional payout for this jackpot, then how did they give her $200 for this? Hmm. I thought they can't pay anything more. How did they give another 200 So what does the law say? You can't pay anything further for the jackpot. Oh, except $200, you can give that. No, of course it doesn't say that. They just have to pay the jackpot accurately, and anything else they give her just has to be for some other purpose. They could easily come to her and say, look, we're sorry about this. This is a huge amount of trouble. We're not going to put you through it. Here's the money. We're giving it to you for the emotional distress you've gone through from this whole thing. Here's a waiver that you're going to sign that you're not going to sue us. 
and that you are accepting this as as uh, as payout for this, not for the jackpot. That you're accepting this as a compensation for your emotional distress. Make it exactly equal to what the jackpot was, or maybe a tiny bit more. And that's that. Now, yes, yeah, she could still go to gaming at that point and double collect, but who cares? Let her. I think it's a four-figure jackpot. I think it was something like you know, $3,000, $4,000. That's what I think happened. It's something they could easily afford. It's a big property. I could understand if it was like $3 million here. Of course, $3 million wouldn't get confiscated for back child support. But it's not like it's such a large sum of money that they don't want to pay it twice. This sounds like it's a four-figure jackpot, which they could easily afford to pay since it was their mistake and since it would be such a freaking hassle for her to get this back. It's not just a matter of filling out one paper at gaming and getting the money back in a week. It sounds like it's a nightmare process. And I can tell you, I can tell you from dealing with government entities in non-standard situations, it hasn't happened many times in my life, but when I have... Boy, has it been a nightmare. Boy, has it been hard to find the right person to handle it. Boy, has it been hard to get them to understand what I'm looking for. Boy, has it been hard for them to find the right protocol that they have to go through to get me what I need to get. I mean, dealing with government government bureaucracy for something that isn't already clearly laid out in a straightforward and predetermined manner is extremely difficult and cumbersome and time-consuming and maddening. You just don't want to have to do it, and it's going to take a long time, and she shouldn't have to. None of this is her fault. I always like to ask companies in customer service situations, what did I as a customer do wrong to cause this? Whenever there's something that puts me out a lot, wastes a lot of my time, causes me a lot of frustration, causes me other issues or inconveniences, I ask, did I do anything as a customer wrong to cause this to occur? And if the answer is no, then I say, okay, well, then this is your fault. Then you need to make it right. Then I shouldn't start. Like I've had it before where um, a bill is wrong by $60 and they can only find a way to give me back a 40 of it. The other 20, they just want me to eat. And I'll say, no. What did I do wrong to cause my bill to be $60 too much? Well, nothing. Okay, so why should I have to pay you guys $20 too much after you fix it? Why? What did I do to cause this? So... If you ask her, what did she do wrong? Cynthia Obi, what did, what did you do wrong to cause this jackpot not to be in your possession at this time? Nothing. She gave her true and accurate social security number, which was then misentered by MGM, which got wrongfully confiscated by the state, and now it's very tough to get back. MGM should step up. Instead, they're hiding behind what they call the law. And that's the problem. Large companies love to do this. Large companies will love to claim the law says we can't help you in this situation because they figure the average person will not have a way to check that and will figure that if it's out of the company's hands and if it's just a law, what can you do? Then you can't be mad at them. You can't continue the argument. You're pretty much shut down at that point. When I lived in Las Vegas... I had home telephone service, cost $25 for installation, which I paid. They sent the installer down. I was not home when the guy came down to do it. And I didn't need to be home. And then when I came home, my phone was not working. And I said to them, 
Or sorry, I was home. You're right. I, I got that part wrong. I was home. It wasn't. It was working, but then it wasn't working as he did something wrong. That was the story. It's confusing two different stories. But uh, anyway, uh, bottom line is the first attempted installation failed. So he had to come back a second time. So I said to them, since I have to waste my time with this a second time now, when it should have done, been done right the first time, please give me my $25 back. I paid for the installation because I didn't get my money's worth. I didn't. Get, I paid the $25 for it to be done right, not wrong. So they told me, well, we'd love to, but uh, state law says that we cannot refund a regulated charge. Well, they're right. They can't. Regulated charges must be charged exactly as the state gave them permission to charge. It cannot be more or less, and they cannot reverse it. They were right about that. But what they weren't right about was that they could easily give a $25 customer service credit to offset it. So while the $25 would still be on my bill, there would also be a minus 25 on my bill from the customer service credit, therefore wiping it out. I don't care what the bill says. I just care how much it is. So they tried to still argue with me, and I said, look, no, you're not correct. You have a right at any point to give me a $25 customer service credit. So they finally meekly conceded that I was right, that they did have a right to do that. So they did it. Very similar here. MGM could totally make this right in full, and they're not. Very crappy. Very, very crappy. She probably will eventually get her money, but it's going to be a long time. I posted this story on Poker Frawler, but I also posted it up on Real Grinders, the Facebook group run by Ray Davis. I saw some people making some dumb comments on there that what's the issue? She can just go to the state and get it. You know, yeah, it's a little bit of a hassle, but how can she expect them to pay more? Because this shouldn't be necessary. She should not have to chase down her jackpot from the state when she did nothing wrong. And if that's what's going to be required, then they need to compensate her for this in more than $200. Really crappy. Gets me mad just to think about it. It didn't even happen to me. Can you imagine if it happened to me? <laughs> I mean, I would have, oh, I would have been livid. I would have flipped out. I would have flipped out. All right. Let's see what else we got here. Getting near the end. Oh, I kind of wish I got to this next topic earlier because uh, it's something I want to talk about more in depth, but I kind of don't have the energy for it right now. Well, let's see. You know what? I'm, I'm going to skip this topic. I'll tell you what it is, though. I'm not going to leave you in suspense. Uh, this is about a company called HQ Trivia. It's a trivia app where you can compete against others for real money, and there's a big scandal because they're not paying people. And I've actually discovered the world of apps where you compete for real money, and I found it's a very shady world. And it's one where many scandals are going to keep occurring. And I just, I don't have the energy or the voice to do this topic. I think it's longer than I have the energy for, so I'll table it next week. But I do want to mention something else, the final topic. I want to talk about cold weather in Chicago. 
and how this might give you an opportunity for a positive expectation play at Harris Joliet, which is in Illinois. They have a unique promotion related to reward credit multipliers. Now, remember, a reward credit is worth one cent, for the most part, at Caesars Properties. This is a Caesars property, being a Harris. You typically earn one reward credit for every $10 wagered in video poker or every $5 wagered in slot machines. There are exceptions to this, but that's typically the way it is. Some casinos will have multiplier days where you can earn uh, usually up to five times reward credits during certain hours where they tend to be slower. What is that really worth? Well, let's think about it. Let's, let's do it in the context of video poker because slots, unless you're playing advantage slots, which is not always available to do. Uh, video poker, you get uh, one reward credit per $10 wagered. That's worth one penny. Not even cash either. It's only worth one penny either to spend on property or half a penny that you can get for free roll, uh, for, for free play. You can get free play at half value. But let's just take the one penny value here. So basically you're getting 0.01% back there in reward credits. Not very good, right? Because, uh, I'm sorry, not 0.1%, not 0.01. You're getting uh, one one-thousandth back because $10 is a thousand pennies and you're getting one penny. So, whatever the edge is in the game over you, this reduces it by uh, 0.1%. It's obviously not a huge reduction, but if it's a game that's kind of near 100% anyway, that can be a big difference. But what if there's a five times multiplier? Well, that gives you 0.5% back. Now, again, you can't just bring this in for cash if you want to turn it to free play, which still isn't cash if you only get half. But, but assuming you have use for the reward credits, like for spending on property, for food, or for hotels, whatever, um, yeah, it can be worth something to you, even if you don't exchange it back in for cash. So for, for the purpose of this exercise, we're going to just pretend it's worth cash, even though it's not. So five times reward credits, you're getting five cents every $10 wagered on video poker, which is, as I said, 0.5%. Well, that starts to improve it. Like Jacks are better video poker if it's a 9-6 machine, 9 for the full house, 6 for the flush, and if you play perfect, which is very hard to do, even if you have a instruction sheet in front of you or on your uh, phone because you can just make mistakes over time. You play a lot of hands, but if you could play perfect, the return is 99.54%. This actually slightly pushes the game above even to 100.04%, but it's not something you'd want to do because... That 0.5% is only in reward credits, and because it's very hard to play perfect, and because there's a lot of variance, blah, blah, blah. So this isn't something you'd want to do unless you're just trying to earn tier credits anyway. But what if you got a bigger reward multiplier? What if you got one like 15 times? Well, that's a different story. 15 times is 1.5%. 
So that would turn a lot of video poker games into positive expectation and enough positive expectation for the good games to where uh, this really would be worth doing. Well, there is an interesting promotion called the Winter Multiplier for January 26th only at Harris Joliet. Now, this is not worth traveling across the country for, but if you're in the general area or will be there, you may want to check it out if the weather cooperates. And in this case, cooperating means being very, very cold. If the low temperature is... Uh, below is uh, 30 degrees or above at Midway International Airport, which is in Chicago. That's, that's what this is going to be based on. The official low temperature at Midway International Airport, actually the day before, on July, uh, January 25th. Then on January 26th, if it's 30 degrees or above for the low, then you get a two times RC multiplier, which isn't very exciting, but that's the worst you're going to get. If the low is between 20 and 29, then you'll get three times. If it's 10 to 19 degrees, you'll get five times. If it's zero to 10 degrees, you get seven times. If it's minus 10 to zero, then you get 10 times. If it's minus 19 to minus 10, you get 12 times. And if it's minus 20 or lower, you get 15 times. Now, there's a little weirdness in this and that some things are duplicated like 0 to 10 and 10 to 19 well, what if it's 10 which one do you get uh, I don't know if they're going to get a weather report that's so accurate it's down to the decimal point but who knows but ignoring that what you're looking for is a very cold cold morning on Friday January 25th which we can't look at yet because you can only look at a 10 day forecast but we can get pretty close right now Right now, it's the early morning of uh, January 12th. Right now, as I'm doing this, it's 4.03 a.m., January 12th in Chicago. So we can probably see all the way up until January 21st, which is only four days beforehand. But four days can be a lot different, but we can take a look anyway. So this is something pretty predictable, fortunately, because of the 10-day forecast and because weather forecasting has gotten to be so accurate. It's not like when I was a kid where it would be frequently wrong. People would make jokes about the weatherman. Here, it's pretty damn accurate. And when the weather report, when the weather forecast is wrong, it's actually surprising. Especially for temperature. For precipitation, that's kind of sometimes a little harder to guess. But... uh for temperature, they're usually pretty right on. Yeah, they're off a few degrees here and there, but like you're not going to have it where it's forecasted to be minus 23 on July on January 25th, and then you get there and it turns out it's uh, positive 18. It's it's never going to be off like that. It's never going to be off by like 10 degrees. It's a or not never, but it's uncommon. Okay, so you can see 10 days in advance whether it's going to be anywhere near where you'd like it to be. Now, what about historically? Well, I looked, I didn't have the averages, but I I took a quick look on wunderground.com to their reports for 2017 and 2018. 
So I looked at January 2018. It was never below minus 10 in the entire month of January 2018. And, and keep in mind, we're talking about January 25th we're looking for. The earlier part of the month is more likely to be cold than the later part of the month. The coldest time is you know, like late December, early January, and then it starts to warm up. doesn't get warm, but yeah, it, it, if you were to pick a time in January to do this, if you could pick the day, you'd want to pick like January 1st. You wouldn't want to pick January 25th. But it still can be bitter cold on January 25th. But it wasn't below minus 10 at any point in January 2018. There were three days that were below zero that would have qualified for 10 times multiplier in January 2018. There were nine days in the single digits, positive single digits, which would have been seven times. There were four days in the teens, the low, which would be five times. The rest, 15 of the 31 days, the low is 20 degrees or higher, being two or three times, which isn't that exciting. Also, every day after January 17th last year was 17 degrees or more for the low. Looking at 2017, the patterns are pretty similar. Again, in the later part of January, the temperatures were higher. Let's take a look at 2019, what we can see so far. Weather, Chicago, Midway Airport. So, I'm going to click on this here. Look at weather.com. So, and this ignores wind and precipitation, by the way, for this promotion. Oh, it does, you know, it does have January 25th. I'm surprised it does have that. Usually, it says 10-day weather, yet the weather goes all the way through... uh, the 26th. Okay. I wouldn't count on 15 days from now. I don't think they can predict it that accurately yet, but uh, I'll tell you anyway. So right now, uh, the low is only going to be 29 today. It's going to be high 20, 32, low 29, and snow all day. And that tends to happen when it snows. When it's, You're actually hoping for it not to snow because that makes it more likely to be cold at night. Snow brings the high and low temperature together closer. Clear makes it where they're much farther apart. So you want it to be like a clear cold cold spell. You're not going to get minus 20 in snow. And minus 20 is very unusual. But uh, but, uh, looking deeper into the forecast, there is somewhat of a cold spell coming up around that time. January 21st, high 25, low 14. January 22nd, their claim will be 21 and 13. The coldest day in the forecast, though again, this is now 13 days away, so I don't know if you can trust it, is indeed the 25th. With AM snow showers, high 21, low 8. So, if you can uh, believe this report... I still don't know why the 10-day forecast has more than 10 days ahead, but if you can believe this report and the low really is 8, then as long as you're willing to brave the snow showers, it might be worth playing. You'll get 7 times reward credit if it's 8. However, if it's uh, like 11 or 10, it'll be 5 times, which isn't as good. I don't think you're going to get below 0, but it's worth watching. It is funny that Right now, the coldest day forecast in January is the 25th. <laughs> Weird. So watch that closely if you're in the area. 
Because if you, you're not going to get minus 20, I can already see that, but uh, you're probably not going to get lower than minus 10. But if, if you can get uh, below zero by some chance, you get 10 times, that's pretty good. That's 1% back in rewards credits. And even seven times might be worth it if there's good enough machines. Let me take a look at the video poker. I, I haven't looked at that yet, but let me look at the video poker according to vpfree.com in uh, at that casino at uh, Harris Joliet. Yeah, it's kind of mediocre. Uh, the best game they have is double bonus poker, not double-double, but just double bonus poker for $1 per credit, meaning $5 per hand. It's a 99.11% with perfect play. And uh, then there's the double-double bonus, which is almost 99%. They have a lot of those at various denominations. For There's a 98.91% deuces wild dollar machines, but all the way up to 50 play that you could play. Um, and those have less variance, the deuces wild. So there, it's kind of mediocre. You're not going to find any of these really good games, and it doesn't look like, based on the weather, that there's any chance you could really turn this into much of a positive expectation situation. But if you want to just run up reward credits with very little casino edge and want to run up uh, tier credits as well, you're not going to get any bonus for tier credits, but if you want to run them up on that day, that's a good day to go if you're in the area. Not worth a special trip, but it's an interesting promotion. The good thing about it is you really can look in advance what the weather's going to be. I'd also make sure that they actually give it to you as they promise they do, and if they don't, then present them with the official weather report and demand they change it. That's it. That's all I can stand. Speaking of weather, a lot of rain in Los Angeles this upcoming week. It is pouring right now. I can hear it outside as I'm doing this show. And all next week, or should I say this upcoming week, rain, rain, rain. Not much on the weekend. This rain should stop by the morning, but starting Monday, you know, a lot of rain in Los Angeles which we can't always count on. Thank you for listening. We'll try to get to the other topic about the trivia app and the scandal and all that next week. It's not something that's super important to cover this week, so I'm going to skip it. So I'd like to thank... uh, Who do I want to thank? I don't have any co-hosts tonight. There's nobody to thank there, and nobody called! Let's screw everybody. I'm not thanking anyone. I'm thanking myself. I'd like to thank myself for doing this long show, despite the fact that I have LPR and that it makes my throat hurt to sit here talking to you guys for uh, almost five hours on a show that nobody pays me for. So I'd like to thank myself for doing that. Only taking one two-minute break to go rinse my mouth out with a dry mouth rinse and we'll be back next week I'm not sure which day 
The server, it should be working for you guys, the new server. But if you're still getting errors, please text me at 775-372-8355. It should be working for everybody at this point. Also, please follow the new Vegas Casino Talk Twitter account. I just created that today. I realized I don't have a Twitter for my Vegas Casino Talk site. So now I do. Twitter.com slash Vegas Casino Talk. And I plan to use it to tweet out stories about Las Vegas or other casinos. It's worth a follow. Besides, if you follow it, you give my site more credibility. Twitter.com slash Vegas Casino Talk. And of course... Definitely follow twitter.com slash poker fraud alert. And while you're at it, twitter.com slash Todd Wittelis, that's W I T T E L E S, and uh, twitter.com slash Dandruff Poker. Those are my websites, or those are my Twitter sites, those are my Twitter accounts. I also have a number of websites, like VegasCasinoTalk.com. You may want to check that out. The rest of my websites aren't that interesting, I'll be honest. But I've got two at least that are kind of interesting. All right, people. Hopefully I get a co-host next week. Maybe I'll start earlier. That'd be smarter. That's all. Hope you enjoyed the show. Talk to you next week. Check the Twitter. Shalom.